This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we continue our year of Carpenter by looking at 1984 Starman. We grab our space balls and haul ass to Arizona and an extraterrestrial road trip romance. Dutch apple pie. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. It's the invasion of the podcast. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Okay. Show me. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. The Year of Carpenter. Why don't we just wait here for a little while, see what happens. And welcome to Invasion the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. Uh, my name is Paul, and somewhere out there looking for a food station is Steve. Define food station. <laughs> Uh, it might have gas also and or hot dogs on roller. I might also have hot dogs and gas. <laughs> Probably caused by the hot dogs. <laughs> like gas. Yeah, I don't blame her, buddy. Whatever the statement was in the movie. So, yeah, <laughs> we're going to be talking about uh, 1984 Starman, uh, you're a carpenter. Um, so the good news is um, nothing at all happened at all news wise between our discussion about Ms. Marvel and this episode. So moving on to Starman. No, I'm just kidding. So Steve, um, I, I like that. Like when we pick episodes that aren't going to be news heavy, then all the goddamn news in the world just breaks around us in terms of things that we want to talk about. <laughs> but then when we're trying to put together a story, it's just like, I don't know. I think little Debbie's are on it. Like uh, the Choco Taco got discontinued. Like, what can we talk about that? Like, just where do you, you know, like I could do 40 minutes on the Choco Taco. Yeah. No problem. I got to yeah. find some more bear stories. There's nothing else out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'll, yeah, yeah Marvel, go ahead. Uh, Marvel showed up at Comic-Con uh, this past weekend and uh, hit us with uh, the next three years worth of movies. So there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know why, like I, I knew San Diego Comic-Con was going on and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I just didn't realize it's like, it's like, it took like two years off. Right. Cause of like, you know, COVID, which I mean, it's still out there. Everybody be careful. Be why I say that, why I walk around a grocery store, like licking produce, like it's no problem anymore. But um, you know, um, like just, as long as it's just produce that you're licking. Well, I mean, sometimes the meat aisle too. Sometimes you got to lick that meat. Uh, so, uh, but I didn't realize that like they would come out swinging because sometimes some of the stuff you think they might save for like what their D 23 expo, but my gosh, it was like, they like, we just talked about recently because you've seen Thor love and thunder. And we talked about Ms. Marvel, um, last week, um, that was like, is there any plans for phase five? And it's like, yeah, I, you know what? Not only do they have plans, they like, it's like four, five, six, seven, thirteen. Like, they got plans, and we've now seen some of those plans. Yes, yes, and I'd just like to say, uh, if you heard some odd moaning or whining in the background, uh, that was me licking meat right now. That was me licking yes. meat. No, well, uh, that's, that yeah. was my next thing that I was going to say is, is, can we, you know, make that, you know, 
if we ever make official merchandise, can we make that our catchphrase as we're going out? You know, just one of us will just say, and sometimes you got to lick that meat. You got to lick that meat, right? Sometimes you got to yeah. grab those space balls and you got to lick that meat. No, um, yeah, I should. We should also say it here at the beginning of the show that we're dealing with a bit of a Brady Bunch situation this evening because Steve is looking over four dogs and I'm looking over. Well, there are now four cats in my house. So, um, we've had three, now we have a fourth. So it's like now Steve and I need to live together and manage, you know, our, our relationship, but also four dogs and four cats. So like there might be a lot of weird noises on both ends that are animal related and not meat licking related. <laughs> it's a 50, 50 prop. Um, but yeah, go, going back to, uh, you know, San Diego comic-con that happened this past weekend, you know, uh, Marvel did just hit us with stuff that I was not expecting them to hit us with just because we were in a year where, um, they're, I, and honestly, the, uh, the next black Panther already ends phase four. I didn't even know we were going to be at the end of this phase. I thought it was going to go into Ant-Man and quantum mania and, you know, everything after, but apparently this is the end of phase four with black Panther. Uh, but they just the, like, if they have stuff still to reveal, and I guess probably they do, but if they still have stuff to reveal at D23, and then, you know, usually they have, like, their shareholders meeting or whatever, uh, where they reveal stuff, I think, in, like, October, November. Like, if they're holding back, like, good God, like, they, because they blew everyone out of the water with everything that they well, announced. But there's even, not even the release, like, the publicly released trailers for Guardians 3 and uh, Quantumania. So there's that. They're holding on to that information until later. So, yeah, even stuff they show to the audience, like the public hasn't seen yet either. So, yeah, what else are they hanging on to? It's crazy. Yeah, and I, I'm imagining, uh, you know, they probably want to wait to be closer to at least uh, Black Panther coming out before they start promoting Ant-Man. Totally get it. Uh, so we probably won't see her. I, I imagine that we'll probably see teasers before uh well not even teasers we'll probably see the first trailer for ant-man probably when black panther comes out or a week or two before mm-hmm. i'm guessing we aren't going to see guardian stuff until well is is the christmas special this year it, yeah, it is be, i think right? it's this year so yeah. like they're they're probably holding that in their back pocket so we'll probably see some of that um well we'll definitely see it by the end of the year but uh yeah it's it's just crazy how much stuff uh they have in the pipe and with what they did give us it's like wow there's probably a ton that we didn't even get and i mean there's huge news like there's also you know the return of and yes he's already technically returned but uh daredevil is getting an 18 episode (laughs) season you know stuff like that was announced where you're just like what like is this the world we live in now? Um, yeah, we're going to have four months of Daredevil. Like, it's like, okay. I mean, like I, as much as I, I didn't watch season three, not because I didn't want to, we've talked about that stuff. It's like, you just, it, it, maybe this might be the impetus to get back to it. But yeah, it's like, I thought like the 10 episode thing might like in terms of a season is probably the sweet spot. Oh, you have an 18 episode thing going on. All right. I guess I'm in like, I guess, I guess we're doing CW rules now. I didn't know that, but okay, cool. Thanks. But I'll be there. Take my, shut up and take my money because you already have it. So there we go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we get a little piece of uh, the end of the new She-Hulk uh, trailer where it appears that Daredevil's making an appearance in a a 
yellow and red costume, which will be a new costume design for the series. So I'm excited about that, too. I'm I'm one of those uh, Daredevil fans who, yeah, I like the red costume, but I, I kind of really like the yellow and red and brown costume from the uh, from the like very beginning. That's fair. I but I think like that I think the Netflix costume was actually pretty solid. I thought that was actually a really cool representation of Daredevil. You know, like I actually dug that, but um, whatever, like the costuming for all the Marvel stuff has been on point and a lot of fun. Like we, did, I don't know how much we even talked about last week about Ms. Marvel's costume. I like the hand waving of like, oh, my mom made it for me. It's still, it, it looks yeah. really good visually. Like their costume and, then, and even, sorry, I'm going to brief aside. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, was it a couple of years ago? I was listening to NPR where they actually had the costume designer for, one for Black Panther about how they got into how they tried to represent and melt together all the different like African cultures around where Wakanda would be and how they represented it in the costuming. And also in terms of like black Panther's armor, it's like, these are these details that like you just see it and you miss it because you may not be paying attention, but there's so much thought that goes into it. You're like, Oh shit. They really, really considered all this. So yeah, I think the costuming for all the Marvel stuff has been really, really good. So here's hoping. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's funny, too, because I'm trying to think of there aren't that many designs that I dislike. Even even the Captain America suit that's in the first Avengers movie where uh, I believe it's Coulson who presents him with that, that suit. He only really wears it for that movie. It's an okay suit, but it's it's nowhere near as good as any of the other suits that we get. Yeah, I think it's but funny because it's like the first Avengers funny. suit was like the one that you wore like 40 years ago is way cooler than this. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Spirit Halloween version of whatever you're wearing. But yeah, they moved on quickly. Rightfully so. Yeah. Um, costuming, uh, you know, which is funny. There's all these big announcements and we're like, let's talk about costuming. Um, you know, I just I'm, I'm kind of look, I remember when they announced uh, Age of Ultron and I remember like just my mind being blown and, and, you know, finding out that we were going to get an infinity war. I don't know. They just, they keep coming out and, and, and blowing us away. And, you know, the one trailer that they did release with that black Panther trailer, like I gotta say it's, you know, it's compelling, uh, right? What's that? It's compelling. And it also, it just, it just gets you in the feels, right? Because the emotional resonance, and, and I don't know how, I don't think we talked about this much and I'm sorry, I'm stepping all over you uh, again. Welcome to the show. Um, everybody involved, like there's been so many rewrites going onto this because of course the, the, you know, the untimely death of, uh, uh Chadwick Boseman, but also like where they're going to go with this. It, this, even with this trailer, which I know it only shows us a little bit. It feels like, th- like they, like Ryan Coogler has pulled something together, like out of all this chaos, I, I like I can't wait for this movie. It looks like it's going to be amazing. Yeah, and and you know I, I we're we're not even like in in any other like year like the fact that Namor is being introduced would yeah. be huge news. But they were like, yeah, that's a small announcement here. You know what I mean? Like it's not even it it that's just crazy to me. I mean, you go from uh, three years, I guess, of maybe no information or like, oh, these are the things that are coming out and we can't really talk about future plans to, uh, 
oh, by the way, we're going to do a, a Secret Wars movie in 2025. Like, come on. Yeah. Well, and also, like, the Namor thing, the rights have been weird about that because I was trying to explain mm-hmm. this to my wife. Like, when I show her the trailer and, like, you know, it just it, – she's like, oh, yeah, look, because you know, she likes Black Panther a great deal. Uh, but it's like, like Namor – Captain America and the original Human Torch, not Johnny Storm, but the original Human Torch, were all creations of what was it, Timely Comics? I think. Um, yeah, that that first Human Torch too is weird because he's the, an he's a robot, movie. yeah, it's yeah. a robot. Uh, but it's like there's some other characters that Marvel brought in; they eventually got the rights to. And Namor's always been a little weird, and I know there's been rumors that he was going to be in this, and it's like you see it, and you're like, oh shit! Like, like my my, my here's my hope is that they don't kill him because Namor isn't necessarily a villain, but you know, he's, he has, he has his own motivations, right? So I'm going to put this to you. I know we, there's a lot of other news here and I know that I I'm, I'm more of a Marvel guy than you are. Um, like of like, there seems to be like, there, there's plenty of other characters to pull from, right? Namor, like in my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd see on the screen, right? Who's left? Who, who are like the big couple that you're like, you know what? It's about time. Let's figure it out. Um, the joke answer is Darkhawk, but, uh, well, no, 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 uh, that's no, not, I mean, why is that a joke? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I honestly, I, I think I said it a show or two ago where I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're seeing Darkhawk in the next five years. Um, but, uh, I, I, one that I think might be particularly because it's so close to guardians and we've seen the Nova core, but we've not seen a Nova. Um, that's fair. So I, I think that that's one that they could still pull out. Um, this isn't new characters in the sense that, uh, we've already seen a version of them, but they've got to, they've got to give the inhumans another try, right? Like they're not going to leave, it just as like, oh, it was a very unsuccessful television show that no one watched, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'm not, yeah. yeah. But no, even yeah. with the agents of shield, they actually did still, they dealt with some of the inhumans there too, because of like uh, quake and uh, yo-yo and a couple others that, you know, so they, it's, it's still out there. They could actually, they can come back to that and actually make it make sense. Right. Like I, and also now that we've seen very, very sexy, sexy ants and mount play black bolt the right way, though we couldn't see his hair. But still, you know, why not? Yeah. And I mean, I guess, you know, if and and I know this one's going to be tough because, you know, the deal ended with this last movie. But, uh, you know, who who's a big gun that they could still introduce? Uh, you know, they could introduce Miles Morales into the MCU. And I I know that that is tied to Sony and all that. But like, that's one that like we need a live screen. We need a. Yeah. Oh my goodness. As much as I love Into the Spider Verse, and I'm ecstatic for the the sequel when that comes out, I will be I will be there opening weekend with uh, Miles Morales. I think it's time we get him in the MCU. He's That's the fair. other one. So I would say my my big hopes would be uh, at some point. Maybe not right now because I know we're pointing towards Kang, which again, Kang, we're getting him. Like I know we already saw him a little bit in Loki, but that's a deep cut, right? Uh, Galactus. We need Galactus to show up eventually. Uh, Doctor Doom. And not be a cloud? Yeah, not be a cloud. Not be a fart cloud. Uh, but like Doctor Doom showing up. I Like I know the Fantastic Four film, Kevin Feige's like, it's not an origin story, which good, right? 
I don't know if I need him being introduced as the bad in Fantastic Four. Like, why not do like, what was it? Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the Annihilator. I forget the actual character's name. Like, make it a cosmic space weird movie and have fun with it. And like, I would love to see Doom be brought in a separate because I don't need their origins tied together. I know it is in the comics, but fine. I, I want to see some Doctor Doom in there too. Like, um, you know, and uh, now that we have um, the potential of X Men stuff too. Um, you know, like why not, uh, start teasing something like Mr. Sinister, um, you know, and also like, cause you could, you could introduce these no, characters. You've got Oscar Isaac, you, you make age of apocalypse too. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, that's how about you have moon Knight versus, uh, apocalypse. There you go. And just have him play like five characters at once. Why not do that? No. Um, I don't know. It's like, I just, I think Dr. Doom is one of those, like one of those big, big bads in the Marvel universe that, like he, Victor Von Doom needs to show up like, like soon, you know, like, and I love, I love that. He's almost kind of like a Loki type of character where it's like, um, he always has his own agenda. So he's not necessarily good or bad, but he has his own means. I would, I would love to see an extended Doom. maybe with secret wars. Who knows? Who knows what's coming? Right. But there's, there's some other, there's some other cards that are left unturned. And now that, uh, Disney being the overlords that we have to bow down to are like somehow seemingly bringing everything into the fold aside from Sony derping around on their side with the Spider-Man stuff. Um, like they're like, we're going to do a Madam web movie. I'm like, did anybody ask for that? No. Um, you're going to do a Craven. <laughs> it's you're going to do Craven the Hunter movie. Cool. Or how about you could have acquiesced and been like, Hey, Ryan Coogler, you wanted to use Craven in your second black Panther movie. Shut up and take this because we'll make money. You know, like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm taking away from this, the Comic-Con stuff, but it's like they're giving us so much more and we're like, I cannot wait for what's coming. I'm going to love, like, let me rephrase. I mean, I watch it. I expect to really enjoy what's coming. They really haven't really failed me yet. I know we talked about Eternals being like their worst. There's still a lot of merit in that. And I think that, I think eventually they'll come around to some of those characters. Like you can't have uh Kingo and not use him again. You know, like, I don't know. But what they what they've teased so far is going to be great. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we've got uh, we've also got Secret Invasion with Sam Jackson coming. We have um, uh, the Marvels. Obviously, we talked about that last week. Um, Guardians Three is from all from everything that because uh, we watched uh, the James Gunn portion on YouTube because uh, my wife is a huge Guardians fan. Um, it's she, she loves Marvel movies. Don't get me wrong, but like guardians is her jam. Like, and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a, you know, cool for me in the sense that, you know, uh, when I heard that they were making a guardians movie, I'm like, I know very little about guardians. I'm like, I can't believe they're making the guardians of the galaxy a movie. And then it comes out and it's amazing. And everyone falls in love with it. Love with it. I got to watch my wife sort of like fall in love with it. In a way where I'm like, is it about Chris Pratt or is it about everything else? It, it is about everything. <laughs> it could be two because, things. It could be two you know, things. She's all about them. Yeah. It could be about Drax's nipples. But, uh, it could be about three things. It's fine. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, she's so excited. So I was like, well, you know, we'll watch that because it's on YouTube and, uh, you know, they didn't show the trailer, but you know, James Gunn talking about, just how the story is sort of the end for a lot, a lot of characters. He's like, that doesn't mean people die, but it's, you know, this is the end of my journey with the characters and the fact that, um, rocket is, 
in his his eyes the saddest character in the Marvel universe and how we're going to see his origin and uh, all that stuff is just like yes, you know yeah. I'm I'm happy to to you know I, I'll be very happy when Peacemaker returns, but I'm also going to be real ecstatic to see James Gunn's you know uh, his uh, Guardians three. Absolutely. And, I, and here, I, I cannot not finish this bit talking about how they've announced a Thunderbolts film. Dear Lord. Yeah. Like that, like I, I have here. I mean, they've been kind of teasing that right with like some of the other characters that are hero adjacent. Like, we'll just put it that way. And if people don't know who the Thunderbolts are, I don't want to spoil that. Um, but and maybe I, maybe I spoiled it before, but I'm not gonna spoil it now. Um, that will be a really like that. That's, um, I think uh, I think they're uh, they're like this is going to be just as much of a risk as like the original Guardians was, and I cannot wait to see how they pull this off. It's going to be fun. If if they can keep the secret that's revealed about the Thunderbolts from the audience at least until you know, if not a end of the movie reveal to the you know at least the middle, like if they can keep people from understanding what the the big revelation is and what makes them interesting at the start. Um, I'll be impressed, but uh, uh, Kathy was like, oh, Thunderbolts, is that Thor related? And I was like, no, uh, no, no. no. <laughs> and I basically spoiled, like, you know, the big reveal. And I'm like, oh, there's, they're also Barky. Um, no, no, it's a, it's a spoiler dog in the background. It's fine. The like, spoiler dog is yeah. trying to stop me from... <laughs> from spoiling Thunderbolts, but I, I like essentially I gave away what the, the premise is like right away. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're getting Thunderbolts. I also think too, that like, I'm going to guess that that's going to be revealed probably. So let's put this way. Um, when they start putting out the trailers, I think they're going to like tip their hand and show what the film is, but then it's going to be one of those things where it's like, you think, you know, and then you don't know, you know, I think that I, like you can't make that movie, if you, in this day and age with all the information that we have about what that is, like there has to be the double fake, you know what I mean? Like maybe like I, maybe I'm naive, but um, like you can't just do that and be like, Oh, you think, you know, this is gone. You have no idea, but I'm excited because the Thunderbolts is a really fascinating idea um, in terms of what the Marvel universe is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember, honestly, I remember when that comic came out and I, that I believe and I don't know how long he was on the run for, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's Mark Bagley who starts that book because I remember it being, you know, revealed that that book was coming out because I feel like that was right around the time that the heroes were born stuff was going on, or maybe it's the heroes return after they're off in a pocket universe. And uh, I remember like I'm like who are the Thunderbolt Thunderbolts and why should I care? Um, and yeah, if they pull it off and they're able to execute, you know, maybe it's a fake out, like you said, for all the people who are in the know, uh, even better. So yeah, I'm real curious to see what that movie is going to be. Yeah. So is there anything else from, uh, from the Marvel side? Cause there's a couple other things that happened there that I think, um, are worthy of note from San Diego comic-con. Uh, so I, I, there's a lot of different things that we could talk about, but I want to get to Starman. Um, the one thing I will say is, is that uh, it's kind of sad at the lack of actual comic book news. And I know that's just old man shaking his fist at the sky. I understand that, you know, it's not the sexy part of Comic-Con. You want to talk about the TV reveals, the, the movie reveals, the toy reveals, the merchandising. 
all that stuff, you know, you want to focus on on your website. But a lot of websites that are supposed to even be comic book based, like I was looking, I'm like, what news happened? And, and you know, like <laughs> something had been announced. And like the only thing that I know about is, uh, okay, so I guess there's two things. One, DC is doing another crisis. I mean, thankfully, that's an idea that they haven't done a lot of. So I'm sorry, I'm never, know. I'm not familiar with what's what's the crisis. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other big news was, or other news, I should say, because it's not technically big news, is that uh, Todd McFarlane announced, like, hey, Spawn Batman, we're getting another one coming. In uh, in November, I think of this year, and he's like, uh, and it's going to be drawn by Greg Capullo, which makes ridiculous amount of sense. Greg Capullo is probably the artist who, outside of McFarlane, is the most associated with Spawn. Uh, Capullo just Capullo, Capullo just finished uh, a. I don't know. He's probably been on Batman in various books for like the last eight to ten years. And he's become probably one of the most notable artists to touch Batman in in recent times. So uh, that's that's an absolute no brainer. Uh, hopefully, and look, I, I love McFarlane, um, but I will always say that he's a better uh, artist than he is a writer. Uh, supposedly, he's writing this. I <laughs> hope he gets some help. Um, every every everything's going to be like every, everything's going to be splash page, feet over top of head, loud noises, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, muscles, it's, it's, <laughs> webs. Uh, you know, There's like neither one of them could shoot webs, but webs is what no, I'm kidding. Sorry, <laughs> no, sorry. I, Chains. I, I love. Him. <laughs> <laughs> I love McFarlane as an artist. Um, you know, even the first Spawn Batman, which I think is a gorgeous book, I, I was hoping that he would announce that there was maybe going to be an artist edition of that since he works so t- you know closely with DC now. But that was not what he announced. He announced that they're doing another crossover. Um, that's fine. I love the look of that comic. I mm-hmm. read it over and over and over when it first came out. It's not a good story. And that one's written by Frank Miller. So, like... Um, how racist is it? In, I, for, I, I did read it, but how racist is it then? Now, in hindsight, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, um, you know, uh, <laughs> no. Batman comes out as a protector of the one percent, and uh, <laughs> these rich white people need to be like, oh wait, there is a there's a person of color that I have to fight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. So I'm, I'm going to cut you off here. I'm going to make a I'm going to make a very specific joke about that original run, the three issue series that was uh, DC and Dark Horse, and I'm making the joke for you and one other person, uh, <clears throat> the Al Goro. If this if this series doesn't end with a batarang and Batman's face that he has to sew show, sew up, then why are we even here? Why are we even here? Because <laughs> I think I think that the ledger needs to be like you know wiped right. Like we, we need to have a spawn orang thrown at uh, Batman's face that he has to sew up after the, after the impact. If not, then I don't know. I don't, I have no idea why this series exists. I mean, that's a good point. But the other point that I'll make is, is that, uh, uh, if they somehow don't figure out, like we should really put violator and Joker together because that happens in neither of the two previous crossovers. Then I think they're, 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 you know, doomed from the start that's like, fair that's such a natural like 
let's take their two villains and put them together because they're both clowns. Yeah. How did, how did that idea get missed? But I digress. No, um, but one, one of them needs to be hit in the face with something that splits their face open and it needs to be Batman. So, but you know, okay, cool. Like, I, I like, we'll look, we'll look forward to it. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'll definitely end up picking it up, but, uh, I just, you know, I hate the fact that comic book news is, is not even a part of Comic-Con anymore. Like, I really hate that. I was expecting something big to have n- yeah, announced. Yeah, they should just change or it even, to, like, like, interesting. They should just change the whole thing to, like, San Diego Pop Culture Con or something, you know, like, to, because that's yeah. what it is now. And that's fine. It's absolutely fine, right? Uh, and then was the DC still going to do their, um, what they call it, the fandom, whatever? Like, that's fine, too, you know, like. But yeah, I think if there, like if there's going to be an actual thing where you can release like comic book related news, um, that would be beneficial for all presses. Yeah, I think that'd be I think that'd be cool too. But um, as much as comic books are as much as they are, and then the and the the knowledge like um, the mind share now, people still want to see stuff on the small and big screen, and it's just you know I have to read something. Yeah, it's kind of like TV, but the images are frozen. <laughs> you know, whatever. Anyway. So I don't know if you want to get into like the, the black Adam thing that was going on when the rock showed up in the outfit um, or the Shazam sequel. I don't know if you got, if you're excited for any of that, it all looks solid. Uh, yeah. So I, I the one thing that I'll just say is, is that uh, <laughs> there was this whole like, you know, rumor that was being spread around before um, <laughs> Comic-Con that Henry Cavill was going to show up. And uh, he was going to be, you know, announcing that he's in either Black Adam or he's doing another Superman or whatever. And uh, and then that didn't happen. And people were mad about it. I saw the I saw the meme that that you posted on the meme that you posted on our Facebook page. And I thought that was really irritating of like the whole like the 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 new quote unquote news that is created is because of people's like once as opposed to anything confirmed. And then their upsetness at a thing that was never confirmed, you know, yeah. like calm down, just settle down. <laughs> I can't believe Henry Cavill didn't show up. Well, you know what? He wasn't, it wasn't something that was supposed to happen. In the, I'm sorry that the surprise that would have gotten spoken anyway. Didn't <laughs> happen. So yeah, I just thought that was all absurd. I do think, <laughs> It's just like maybe Boy, my you know, like my dad went out for cigarettes. Maybe he'll show up now. Who said that? Who said that your dad's coming back after <laughs> cigarettes? Nobody confirmed that. He he got in the car and just left. It's fine. I don't know why I'm comparing uh, Henry Cavill to like a deadbeat dad because <laughs> he's not. But everyone's like maybe dad will show up this time. Said nobody. <laughs> you know, like or sorry, nobody confirmed. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me. Like anyway. <laughs> yeah, also, yeah. So I mean in that sense, you know, I I Black Adam looks fine. I do I do have a feeling that they're still writing that whole like we got to make sure that nobody ever, you know, says that they're a, a villain or a superhero uh who isn't afraid to kill or be awful. Um I don't know why they keep uh ringing that bell, but they they seem to at least with their trailers for Shazam. I'm sorry, not Shazam, Black Adam. Um, uh, that, that notwithstanding, um, I do, you know, what they probably would have done had, you know, and I, I don't know, maybe they're still considering it. Like my, my wife has already told me, she's like, yeah, I'm not going to see the flash. I don't care that Michael Keaton's going to be in Batman in it. She's like, I'm not going to see it. 
uh, if Ezra Miller's a star. I'm like, fair enough. And, you know, there was nothing about them, <laughs> about him at all. So weird. Was, so weird that they wouldn't sp- spotlight that film right now for reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. no addressing of it. I think they're just, they're hoping it goes away is what I think they're hoping at this point. And uh, the, 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 the Shazam trailer opens with Shazam talking about other heroes and it's clearly the Snyderverse versions, you know, because we see the Ben Affleck Batman, we see uh, the Ezra, Ezra Miller flash. Um, I guess, yeah, you know, we see the Jason Momoa Namor. I'm sorry, Aquaman. We see Aquaman there uh, as well. Aquaman. Well, that's the thing too. We didn't even, they didn't even talk about Aquaman at this. Like that's not a trouble. It's, production it's so weird know. that the two films that have had uh problematic leads that are in post-production were not spoken to. <laughs> like, I don't know about the, it's just what it's, it's not a, I mean, it has to, it has to be a coincidence, right? It can't be specifically why, oh, right? Were you, I didn't even take into account the Amber Heard thing. <laughs> Do you think that that's why? Oh, Aquaman yes. About? Oh, absolutely. I think that's the absolute. Oh, I didn't speak even about put that, that together. See, look at I'm you. Like, look at you being a summer child. Anything. Look at you just being so innocent. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I think I can't wait for the the was it Queen Mira and uh, uh, Flash movie that they're just going to put both. We're going to put Amber Heard and Ezra Miller together <laughs> to see what happens. And just whatever you know, sure, it's fine. I don't know. Yeah, I, that's because I know that they're trying. I mean, Warner Brothers is probably like, oh God, why did we? Why did we really go all in on these people that have clearly a lot of problems that should have been addressed previously? You know, like we'll see, we'll see what happens. Right. Like, um, like how, how well did that, uh, queen of the Nile, well, not queen of the Nile, um, death on the Nile film do with army hammer in the lead that Disney was like, shh, 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 don't talk about it. How well did that do? You know, I believe it was the last year's biggest blockbuster. It might be right. I didn't watch it, but anyway, continue. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> I don't. I, I have no clue. Yeah, I don't think it was a yeah, blockbuster by yeah. any uh, means. No. So. Um, uh, sorry, death of, death of the Nile. Yeah, that was the second. The Kenneth Branagh. Whatever. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, any, okay. So that was what you you were keeping an eye on all of the um, Comic Con stuff because it's like there's a lot of shit there. It was a lot. It was a lot of a lot more breaking information than I was expecting. So I w- I kind of was asleep at the wheel, you know. So it was also it was also kind of nice to not think of like oh this is coming as opposed to like I don't I don't know about you but it's like I like for me it's like I'm always kind of aware because I read all the stuff you know like I'm just always kind of like I just I it's just it's just what I do it's just something I do and I, I so a lot of these announcements caught me off guard because I wasn't paying attention because I wasn't expecting much and then it just blew blew the top off my head which is I think what you were saying for the weekend. So a, a different way, and this is gonna this is gonna transition into my weekend, uh, blowing the top off my head. Um, I decided, I don't know, why not watch uh, the HBO miniseries Chernobyl? You know that that um, feel good story of the thing that happened in the eighties. Uh, it was the five part uh, series on HBO that uh, they released like was two and a half years ago. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to ruin my Saturday and just make me feel bad and terrified the entire time. Steve, have you seen this uh, miniseries? I have. And actually, um, okay, let me just ask. uh, Now that I want to spoil it, uh, LOL, (laughs) uh, tragedy. uh, But uh, did you watch all of it? 
Yes, I'm. I, I finished all of. Yeah, I watched all of it. Did did oh, you you've done? Okay. Yeah. All right. My apologies. There are some makeups in there of people with the radiation burns to them. Like, oh, this this is this is more horrifying than any of the makeups. That, you know, because I actually didn't hate the Jackie Earl Haley. Uh, job that was done on him in uh, the Nightmare remake, but I'm like, this is scarier than Kruger makeups that we got. I'm like, if they reinvent that's gonna... Um, I've watched it. Uh, it was very well done. It was extremely interesting. Uh, hard to watch at times. Yes. Uh, and boy, oh boy. Uh, not something that I'm like, you know what I want to do on the weekend? I want to take in six episodes of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? So I like I've been kicking the tires yeah, on it for a bit. I, it's one of those things where I'm like, ah, I should get to this. I should get to it. And then I'm like, I know when I when I started, I wouldn't finish. I, I was going to watch it straight through. And yeah, you're talking about the makeup effects. Dear Lord, like they they get they any there there isn't a, um, a accompanying podcast that is from uh, Craig Mason, who was the executive producer and writer of all five episodes that he did. Um, that I need to listen to because he also did, um, he also was the host of the Watchmen podcast. Cause he was really, really about all of that. Like the HBO series Watchmen. And he seems like, like, he seems like a really well-reasoned and like, um, sophisticated and funny guy. I, I'm not like, I'm not saying that the Trouble podcast is going to be fun, but he was a compelling individual. And after watching this, um, it just like, uh, one of my fr- friends referred to those, the most horrifying things he's ever seen, like the scariest movie he's ever seen. I'm like, dear Lord, that is correct. Cause, um, I, when you see what's going on with the initial reactor explosion and the people nearby and the town Chernobyl, and then, um, the people later on and prepat and otherwise, whenever you see like the, um, the flakes of the reactor and like the graphite falling on them. And they, they, they reacting like it's snowfall. I, we watch zombie movies. You're like, Oh, everybody's dead here. It, they're all screwed. Like they're all screwed, but you always have that hope that they're going to get out. <laughs> there was no hope. Like the moment this was like in the, in the wind and hitting them, you're like, well, they're all dead. And watching them play around, like the kids play and like the sand and kick and the, the, the debris, like the flakes that was coming in. I, I don't think I've had a more suffocating and devastating reaction um, to a show. And then we get, we fast forward to the fourth episode or fifth episode, whatever, what is it? Whenever there is the one extermination crew that's going around to killing all of the animals, dear Lord, that's a sledgehammer. It is a sledgehammer of a, seg- a segment. Um, but yeah, it was, um, my Saturday was good. <laughs> really, really effective storytelling. I understood that it took some liberties to get like the main points across, but like you and I both grew up when this happened and I, and you're like, you're a little older than me. I remember seeing the news footage and not processing it. And also not understanding that like, the wide ranging scope of what needed to be done to try to mitigate the hazard of what occurred. Yeah. Uh, there's some, you're right. Uh, in calling it a horror story, um, there, there's some truly horrific things. Um, it's, it's, uh, so incredibly well done. And I don't remember if it was pandemic era, pre pandemic, uh, when it originally, um, debuted, uh, but I do, I do remember just being riveted by it. It's not something that I'm like, hey, you know what I'm gonna do is revisit uh, 
uh, Chernobyl this weekend. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if it it's again one of those things where like sometimes the things that are you know you can you can come up with the most uh, horrific thing that you can in your own mind, and you're like, oh, here's here's a real here's a real account of something that happened, and it's like, oh god, it's so much worse. I could have come up with. Well, so. like, so I'll, I'll put you, I'll, I'll give you two things. I mean, aside if from that the, 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 the animal extermination bit, which is whew, like um, that, that just broke me. But also the bit too, when the, the, the firefighters were showing up to the, the reactor fire and the one dude's like, Hey, hey you see a rock like this. And like, he's talking to his buddy. He picks up that, that chunk of like, like radioactive graphite. And the moment the guy puts it down, you see him already looking like he's looking through his, like he he's like reacting to it. And then like moments later, he has his glove off and his hand is already like yeah. melting. You're like, what is go-? like, it's just as much as um like as much as we love horror and we love like for me, like sometimes I, I, I get like, I get frustrated where I feel like some of the stuff that happens to people happens way too fast. I will never, ever, ever, ever doubt how radiation tears people apart quickly. And there's a sequence in uh, Chernobyl. Um, spoilers for everybody. By the way, it didn't go well. Just letting everybody. But knowing the links that went, and there was tremendous sacrifices to to keep it from being a world-ending event that I wasn't even aware of. There was a segment where um, there was a part of a rooftop that machinery couldn't go up there because the electronics would just just be just fall apart because of the radiation. And they're like they had to time out like. Humans could be up there for 90 seconds at a time. Um, if they took any more radiation than that, one, they're already in jeopardy, but two, 120 seconds is fatal. 90 seconds is the most you can take, and you can cross your fingers and hope you're going to have a good life. And there's a 90-second segment where somebody's up there with a shovel trying to get debris off this roof. And just, it, it just, it, I was suffocating watching that segment because the person got stuck, they fell down. And by the time they got in the room, the guy that was like overseeing everything was like, so-and-so you're dead. You're like, Oh my God. Like how, how is this a thing that happened? And it did. And it just, it is, um, it is terrifying, you know, like, so well, also there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm cutting you off here. No, there's please also do. sort of the length that they went to go to keep it a secret, you know, and to not give people information that they needed. And just, how much the, the the government tried to like cover it up it's it's i i don't want to make a light of this at all but it's it's really like it is the real life version of the beginning of star trek six where uh oh, no, praxis that, is the moon that's a good call that's a good call yeah. yeah that's exactly the same thing where the klingons are too proud they couldn't show any weakness right that they have killed themselves yeah, that's the same thing, right? There's even that bit, whatever, they wouldn't even admit to mm-hmm. uh, the Americans. Uh, that's what they kept referring to the Americans as the Americans of uh, like how like they ended up getting a bomb disposable robot that was not qualified to do what it was supposed to do because they were not being honest about the amount of radiation because they couldn't admit fault. Like, which I mean, you know, that has no ties to today and anything going on at all. You know, I'm glad that we learned our lessons and that's never happened again ever 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 right so (laughs) thankfully we we learned our lesson from history yeah right no i'm just saying like i know i know i'm late to the game i know i meant to get to it it is one of the one of the most terrifying things i've ever watched and one of the most depressing things i've ever watched but i think terrifying and depressing things are worthy of time to watch because like it (laughs) 
if all you choose to surround yourself with things that make you happy and feel good, I can't tell you you're wrong about that. However, you're not, I don't know. Humanity is messy and gross and history is uh, messy and gross, you know, like, so you need to, you need to acknowledge that like shit's gone sideways, uh, for multiple reasons, you know, like it's just, I don't, I don't think, um, how do, how do I phrase this? Like, like, um, like my wife, my wife, she wants to like, cause she, you know, she, she does a hard job. The world, the world's shitty. She wants to have escapism. And I, I can't say she's wrong about that. What I will say though, is like, if you, you need to be aware, right? Like you need to be aware. Like I just, cause if you're not, then that's, that's how shit like this slides by, right? That's how like, like learning about like the Chernobyl disaster, about how it was easily preventable, like in terms of what was going on. All right. Well, we need to know that we need to hold those empower accountable because sunshine, um, you know, it makes everything like more approachable. Uh, so this, like I'm coming into a weird, weird headspace, uh, Steve coming into, uh, Starman. Cause I just watched this where it's like, it's humanity at its worst and best. <laughs> you know what I mean? In, in a lot of ways. And then also, um, I ended up listening to, it was a nine part, uh, uh, um, podcast series called ghost church that's available, um, through the cool zone media uh, network. It's a comedian uh, named Jamie Loftus who does, she does a lot of interesting deep dives. She did a, a limited series about her year in Mensa that was really entertaining and also informative. She did something, Steve, you might appreciate this called the act cast where she dug deep into Kathy, the comic. Um, cause she likes Kathy, the comic. And then she ended up actually interviewing the, uh, the artist and writer of Kathy. So she did this whole thing. It was called ghost church where she went to a spiritualist camp in Florida and got into like American spiritualism, which, um, I don't, are you familiar with the Fox sisters at all or no? Did you say the Fox sisters? Yes. Okay. Um, and then no, I mean, what pops up in my head is like, you know, uh, like they were uh, two gorgeous girls that Bud Bundy was, you know, trying to get with on uh, Married with Children, you know, okay. at high school. Sorry, so. you're right. That's exactly what happened. No, um, there was a big thing. There was the, the Fox sisters where they claimed that they could like communicate with like um, the, the other side. And like you'd have these weird spirit tappings that may or may not have been them manipulating their joints in their body and their knuckles and their toes hitting a table whatever anyway, but that ended up giving birth to like this big spiritualism movement that preoccupied most of America, like in the late 18, like 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and it's really, really fascinating that there's still a couple, a couple of, um, these uh, American spiritualism, like, like, uh, areas in the country. And, uh, this, this, uh, uh, comedian, Jamie Loftus went to explore this because, She's not like, it's one of those things where it's like, she wants to believe there's other things going on, but she wants to like see them like, and it's like, I don't know. It was like really, really fascinating to see how people like arrive at their beliefs and where they go and what they believe from that. So, so um, what I'm saying to you is one, if you, if you guys want to listen to that podcast, it's a really entertaining and and energetic podcast called ghost church Two watching Chernobyl and then listening to ghost church. I was in a really, really, really weird headspace coming into Starman. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. It like, 
I was kind of like an all over the place <laughs> in terms of when I was getting to the strong carpenter movie about a dude from not here. And it's actually one of the more hopeful carpenter films. So just that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the exact opposite of the thing in that sense. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah. and I don't, I know that you have other things to talk about, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's the more optimistic, I guess, in some ways version, but also the, yeah, we would invite them and then gun them down. So, yeah. So that that's yeah. how I want to um, that's how I want to lead into the conversation about the thing. No, I always believe like if if Alien Light visited us, maybe I'm <laughs> maybe I'm spoiling it. It would be one. Um, can can we teach it Jesus? Two. Can can we have sex with it? And three. Can we gun it down? Those are the three things I think that would happen if we ever met intelligent life. You know. Oh, Jesus effing or killing it. So tell me I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. So, <laughs> oh, oh, this is going to be a ride. Steve, are you ready to get into the trailer? I, I don't think you're wrong at all. Yeah. No. Right. Um, oh man, my God. I, I, this, I this yeah, the, this film, um, yes. I, I met it in a different headspace this time around than all the other times I watched it. So let's just get into, look at us. Look at us, Steve. I wasn't, I don't know. Like I thought I was worried this is going to be a Wayne's world two episode where we talked about a film for like six minutes or whatever. And we were out the door and by six minutes, I think it was an hour and 40 is where we were at with that. Um, I really thought that we we're going to be out the door. So, um, so let's just get to the trailer for the, th the, the thing. Oh my gosh. For Starman. In 1977, Voyager two was launched into space to the outermost regions of the universe. It carried an invitation in all languages for alien life forms to visit our planet. Someone, somewhere, listened and accepted our invitation. Get ready. Someone is coming. Someone like no one she has ever known before. Can you clone a living organism from the hair of a dead man? We're hypothesizing a technology that's probably 100,000 years ahead of us. He has powers we cannot imagine, and the face and touch of the man she loved. I send greetings. What's the matter with you? How much English do you understand? I understand readings in 54 pilot earth languages. Do you seriously expect me to tell President that an alien has landed, assumed the identity of a dead house painter, and is presently out tooling around the countryside in a hopped up 1977 Mustang? You're not from around here, are you? Think of what it would mean to talk to a being from a civilization like that. Line. I don't understand. There isn't much time, please. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. Why don't you just leave him alone? What the hell ever happened to good parents? We invited him here. So far to come. So much to do. So little time to fall in love. Look up. Company's coming. Starman. Okay, so as we uh, jump into uh, 1984 Starman from John Carpenter, I'm going to ask Paul this very important question. 
question first. Um, Paul, you, you can I get you in a haunch of venison? <laughs> I mean, if it's already um, been like dead on it? a car and killed by a Jason, yes, I could be interested in that. <laughs> okay, I just uh, I didn't take very many notes, but one of the notes that I I did. Uh, make was uh uh this must be the worst come online i've ever heard so uh, uh all right so I, I will uh uh jump to the meat of it because i i know that nobody wants to hear my uh shitty jokes um i do but, but, steve come uh, on i want to hear your shitty jokes come on please <laughs> um yeah so uh directed by john carpenter um this movie is it's odd. It's uh, well, it's not odd because we're going chronologically. Uh, but you know, it's it's a alien story, uh, a very different alien story. After just having like one movie's worth of separation uh, between it, uh, between his this movie and the thing. Um, but uh, we'll go into the the. the the cast and credits here just a little bit. Um, uh, I'll bring up first that uh, I see that the writers are Bruce A. Evans, uh, Reynold Gideon, and Dean Reisner. Um, I had mentioned to Paul, I'm like, I just realized, I'm like, oh, this actually wasn't written by Carpenter. I thought it was. Paul says he has something on that, so I'm going to let him take over at this point. All right, so let me let me set the stage. I, I said like we're in a Zoom meeting. Yeah, that's fair. No, so thank you all for attending right now. Um, make sure you have your cameras on so I can see where your hands are. All right, so let me let me lead into after for our year Carpenter after the the so so success of Christine uh, Carpenter was in um, a unique place to take on another. Uh, project because he had had a success, but not quite. So let, let's, let's go further. This is from the book assault on the system, the nonconformer cinema of John Carpenter, which I it's by um, uh, Troy Haworth. This is an amazing resource and he does amazing uh, research and writing and critical thinking that like, it makes me sound smarter by default. Cannot rec- recommend this bill, uh, this film, this book enough. So, um, so let, let me back up just a smidge. Uh, Carpenter had written the script, like one of the scripts for the Philadelphia experiment. So it eventually went into production. Um, and so he was actually given an executive producer credit for this. However, there was another writer that was brought in named, uh, Jan, uh, Jacoby. I want to mention that because he wrote part of the Philadelphia experiment. Carpenter would collaborate with him on vampires later, which, you know, we may or may not get to, I forget the roadmap we have for the year of Carpenter, but I'm going to keep maybe teasing Steve that we just run the whole, the gamut all the way out. So anyway, so he would work with him later. Uh, Carpenter got, um, a token credit as the executive producer and got a payday from that. So that's solid. Um, and then also, uh, Carpenter at 83 going into uh, 84, he found himself being, uh, courted for a couple of unlikely projects. Steve, before we get into Starman, um, if, if <laughs> this will tie into something we talked about recently, what movie from this time, from 83, 84, do you think uh, Carpenter was asked to be part of that um, there, there's going to be here? Let me let me couch this one. I'm going to reveal now and then another one I'm going to reveal later. Both of these are going to just blow your mind that he was even in consideration for. Uh, what film, what holiday film from 83, 84 do you think Carpenter was approached to do? 
Holiday film from 83, 84. The Dudley Moore, like Santa Claus, the movie movie. Ding, 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 ding. You're correct. He was actually um, brought in. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Congratulations. (laughs) Pat yourself on the goddamn back. That's mind blowing, right? So the reason this ties in is because the producer was um, uh, Ilya Salkind uh, from Superman 4, right? So we just talked about that. And because that film fell on its keys and also like this whole project got really out of, out of hand. They brought, they, they actually approached the carpenter. He was actually interested because he wanted to break away from like the traditional horror mold, but he stepped away because they wouldn't give him uh, like, they wouldn't let him rewrite the script. They wouldn't let him do the soundtrack and they wouldn't give him final edits. So credit to you, Carpenter to stick to your guns because that film is an abomination of a movie. But think about that. We almost got a John Carpenter, Santa Claus, the movie. I know you made the joke, but it's it was almost reality. All right. So I'm, I'm going to just cut you off here for a second. I, I don't remember that much of that movie. So I think for this this December, we watch uh, Santa Claus, the movie. Because I, I honestly have all I remember about it is is that that Dudley Moore is in it. I um, and you, I'm sorry. I, I just want to I want to watch the Carpenter it. cut. I want to watch the Carpenter cut of <laughs> no. Um, sure. I so I know you're a little older than me. I saw this in the theater, and all I remember is that there was this whole discussion about in the film called Christmas Two. Like, sure, let's let's watch this goddamn train wreck of a film. <laughs> like, let's do it. Mark it. Slate it. It's fine. So yeah, think about that for a second. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring in some other trivia later. So Steve, if this blew your mind, I could not wait to drop some knowledge in you later. This, I had to text people once I read about this, that actually it could have almost happened. It is crazy. So anyway, um, so, um, let's see here. Um, so after, so after, um, Christine and, uh, you know, we got to get into this too. Let's see here. Uh, he was brought forward. You talk about Bruce Evans and Raymond Gideon's film called Starman. The, the, the book here says in many respects, it's the direct, uh, antithesis to the thing. We'll talk about that later. I agree with that. So Carpenter was, uh, he saw plenty of appeal in a road movie structure and was eager to demonstrate that he too had a, a, a sentimental side. Uh, no doubt. Uh, so also, let me back this up a second too. His marriage with Adrian Barbeau was falling apart. Not that we need to get into this, but I think it will also color the, this, com- this conversation about the film. She also was pregnant at the time while this was being, uh, this film was actually in pre-production. Sorry, in production. And with the impending pregnancy, Carpenter thought that would be an opportunity to save the marriage. Um, long story short, and there's a whole other write-up about this during the production of Starman. Um, they just, they were different people. She wanted to be more social. He wanted to be more reclusive, not reclusive is not the right word, private. And it was never going to work out. Like they both cared about each other. The marriage wasn't going to work, but she became pregnant during this time. So he's hoping it would like be like, you know, it would be hold together. So anyway, so that's important a little bit later. And I also think it plays into the themes of this movie because this film is very, um, there, there's a core to this that also deals with um, like relationships and loss and potential that you can't tell me that they aren't connected when we get to where we're going here. So one other thing, sorry, I know we're about to get in cash degree. You're talking about the writers. I promise I'm getting there. So um, 
Dean Reisner that you mentioned, right? Uh, he was actually brought in to refine the original script because there was multiple other people brought in to direct the film. And each time they came in, including uh, Peter Hyman's and, um, oh, oh shit, uh, Tony Scott, John Badham, uh, Adrian Lynn, each time they were brought in, um, Dean Reisner was brought in. He was also trying to write to tailor the idea to what they wanted to do. Um, so, but eventually when Carpenter came in, he actually worked with him and they actually got along really, really well. And so the, both of them cut out, like they kept chopping the script down and make it more character driven, more character driven. They both enjoyed working together. And so that's how this came together. So Carpenter didn't write the script directly as you're saying. However, he had a lot of input with uh, Dean Reisner, um, who did not get a writing credit. We'll talk about that later because, uh, the speak about Superman stuff, talking about Superman two the writer writers guild felt like he didn't um, change more than 50% of the script. So he didn't get a credit, which pissed off Carpenter. We'll talk about that at the end. So there we go. That's my brief bit of stuff going into this. Uh, let's get into other things. It's so weird to me. Uh, you know, this, you didn't rewrite enough of this, so you don't get any credit. Like, yeah, right. Clearly took a pass at it and changed quite a bit. So, all right, so uh, the cast here, we've got uh, uh, this guy. I've never heard of him before. He, he, he must have only made this one movie. Uh, but uh, Jeff Bridges, have you heard of Jeff Bridges? Um, I think wasn't. I'm going to take it by your silence that you've not. No, I, so, yeah, he was. Uh, um, yeah, he, he was in some things. It's fine. Yeah. Didn't do much. In Tron. That was about it. <laughs> um, in this movie, he plays. A character named the dude, um, yep. but uh, I'm kidding. Uh, his character is obviously Starman. Uh, <laughs> we've got uh, Karen Allen as Jenny Hayden. Uh, um, to me, she'll always be Marion Ravenwood from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but she puts in a fantastic uh, performance here. Um, I don't know if you have any words on, on Karen Allen before I move on, but. Uh, um, she just, uh, I, 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 I prefaced uh, our conversation tonight, uh, by telling Paul that like, I'm just going to gush about performances all night. Cause that's what I think, uh, is at the heart of this movie. But, um, do you have anything to add to Karen Allen before I move on? Um, it's unfortunate that she didn't get higher profile roles cause she's really, really good. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, we've got, uh, Charles Martin Smith, uh, as Mark, he's, if you're watching the movie, you're like, who's Mark? He's, he's the scientist guy. Who's not technically a part of the government though. He works for the, I think it's the NSA. Um, it, it, there's a great everyman uh, performance in what he, he gives us. I feel, um, and again, I'm already going to the performances, but uh, he's our point of view character. And I, I, I think that's kind of a thankless role. Uh, and he's quite good at it here. Uh, so I wanted to make special mention of him. Um, You've got uh, Richard Jekyll as George Fox, uh, Robert Fallon as Major Bell, Tony Edwards as Sergeant Lemon, uh, John Walter Davis as Brad Heinmuller, and then we've got uh, uh, two more that I want to mention, actually. Uh, Ted White as the Deer Hunter. Two, two things that I, I uh, want to mention. Now that we live in a, a, a era of multiverses, I want to believe that Ted White's deer hunter from this and the guy who's eating lunch in Superman two and beats him up that there's like a world where those two guys, uh, are, 
um, not opposed to each other, but like there's like a buddy comedy starring those two characters somewhere uh, where every week they just go out and be assholes to people. Uh, hmm. The other thing I'll mention about it is, is that Ted White, um, and this is going to upset, you know, Friday the 13th fans because I do love Kane Hodder. I do think he's a great Jason. I think he may actually be the most definitive Jason, but Ted White is the Jason that I, I, I first met. He was Jason in Friday the 13th Part 4, and I believe I told that story. We have not talked about that movie uh, proper. Someday we'll actually get to it and uh, about Friday. Uh, I wanted to make that. Uh, and then uh, George Buckflower in this. Um, you guys will really keep saying his name as we keep going along because he becomes Carter Stave, uh, and he's always great as a, uh, a side character who's not directly impacting the narrative always, but, but shows up and gives great performance nonetheless. Yeah. So uh, to, to, to cycle back, so, real quick, sorry, to cycle back uh, real quick here. Um, I, I, Charles Martin Smith, I, I just kept confusing him with um, uh, Jeffrey Lewis. <laughs> I, don't know. I kept thinking it was like, they're not dissimilar. So that was like, I thought that was funny, but also the other thing I want to mention here is that um, uh, Richard Jekyll, was in Grizzly. Like he was uh the weirdo that was up in the up in the woods that was like sleeping like in the forest at night trying to track the grizzly. So I need to rep I need to recognize game. Like I, when I saw him I'm like that's the uh, that's the guy from Grizzly. I adore that. So I thought that was fun. Yeah, I just want to point out that uh you know you're like what the character he was the weirdo who <laughs> like I want to believe that was the character description. When they were handing out the part where it's like, oh, the weirdo. Um, anyways, I'm, I'm off on a tangent. So uh, let's let's get into the movie. You know, uh, I I don't know if you want me to give a brief description. But, sure. Uh, yeah. What's the brief description of Starman uh, for anybody that's ever seen? That, you know, if you've not seen the film, Steve, what's Starman? All right. This is coming from the IMDb, so I'm sure it's well written. Jenny Hayden never did get over the death of her husband, so when an alien life form decides to model himself on the husband, Jenny is understandably confused, if not terrified. The alien, or star man, as he is called, has a deadline to meet and kidnaps Jenny in order to meet it. That, that is terrible. That is a terrible summation of the movie. Not that it's... It, yes, you do get the idea of the movie there, but that is really not greatly written, so... Um, hopefully it wasn't taken from like the backs of the box or something, but, uh, yeah, uh, Starman is, is, you know, if I can put on my critic voice, my, let's talk seriously about film voice. Um, I would say that, you know, Starman as, as a whole is a film that's about the human condition, but it's examined through the eyes of an alien and we see that alien come, he lives he learns, he loves, and then he leaves, and that is. Thank you. Um, so wait, wait, wait. So can I can I call it? Can I right, like one so time out? Time out? Time out? Time out? Improv. I'm sure. Time out. One. Are you doing Will Ferrell from the Hot Tub, The Lovers, or are you doing uh, Donald Pleasance from Puma Man? What are you? Which Which of those two voices are you doing? Because I need to determine that. Please. Unfortunately, it's just a 
It's just a bad James Lipton uh, impression. So, uh, scrum for lessons no is Starman. It's, Although he's yeah. technically not a crit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what What would be the four? The, sorry. What would be the three words on your way to heaven? Dutch apple pie. Uh, anyway, sorry. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. The, the The story basically is is that you know NASA has launched. I think it's Voyager two in 1977 um and it is it's with these messages of you know we come you know, not we come in peace i'm sorry and that uh you know is it just uh i almost said welcome to earth and i'm like that's not right because that's uh, independence day it's it's a greetings basically like that well, there's other life out there um and it's done in all different languages that are populating the earth you know um I was going to start naming them off. Uh, but yeah, different languages. Um, the probe goes out. Uh, messages received. Uh, a, uh, I was going to say starship. I guess that's the best way of putting it. It's a spaceship. Crashes uh, on Earth. Uh, both the NSA uh, and I guess the local police to some extent are sort of tracking it. Um, that We cut to... Uh, Jenny Hayden, who's played by uh, Karen Allen, who I mentioned earlier, uh, sitting and watching uh, home movies of her, her uh, and her, and we, we don't know how recently past he is, but her husband, who was exactly looked and was James, Jeff Bridges. No, they, they say um, that was like less than, a, it was about a year ago. That. It was about a year ago when she lost her husband. They mentioned oh, like the, they the, the government. Yeah. They talk about how it was a house painter in Wisconsin that like died in April of the previous year. So it was pretty recent. I, they, they, there is a very specific statement okay. about when he, he went away. There's no, it's implied of how he died, but it's never stated directly, but it was really recent. Like rel, like all things considered. Yeah, I, I want to believe it was in a tragic bass fishing accident, but that's just me. Um, so, <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know if I need to see that movie, but I kind of want to see that movie, you know, <laughs> like, like, like bass fishing where he went like fishing off like the coast of Florida and like a marlin just, and, like, just like. <laughs> It Steve Irwin him like that was it like that's like I'm oh I'm a, I'm a bad person I dropped my phone as I'm talking I'm sorry I lost all my notes continue please oh sorry continue please so yeah um, he the Darman shows up after yeah Jenny has gone to bed after sort of revisiting home movies of of her husband and forcing herself to because she's just still in such grief um up and finds essentially a baby a very weird looking baby uh that has got light emitting out of it and is uh, transforming in from her and not like transform and be turned into a truck but uh he, he he starts to form into a young boy and and progress and we see that he's he's kind of imprinted using the um the footage that he's seen. Uh, well, and the hair DNA, the, there was the hair strands, the, right? Or the, the picture he's seen of Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Uh, so there was the photo. Yeah. With, yeah with, oh, sorry. The uh, photo album with the hair that the DNA. Imprinting. I also yeah. keep wanting to make the joke that this is a, uh, I apologize. I haven't screwed that up because I make the joke that this is somehow tied to critters. Yeah. Um, 
Because <laughs> there's the the you know the character who keeps changing. Uh, anyway, uh, the uh, from that point on, I guess you know she has the same reaction that any of us would. Uh, where they're like, "Oh my god, what's happening?" Uh, she pulls out a gun. Um, I I can't read. No, she doesn't fire it. Uh, she drops the gun correctly because no, uh, she passes out because she she sees sort of that, examines it. Yeah, she sees her naked and husband my, there in the living room. She passes out, and this begins this, the the voyage of the Starman being Scott. And so there's a certain amount of um, he's looking at the the film footage. There's the DNA. There's the photos. Like very very quickly, he is learning the uh, mannerisms, and also when he sees the, the the footage of the gun firing off, he figures out how to shoot a gun. She's passed out, um, but it sets up this tense situation. If you've never seen the film before, spoilers. Like we're trying to talk about it, we don't know if he's a threat or not, and by his very unworldly one appearance into like growth sequence. God, that's a gross statement there, right? Um, I've, I've, I've talked repeatedly on this show about how much the transformation and where American Werewolf in London bothers me. This is, it, it, it's, it's adjacent to it. It's not done. I mean, it's done to be off-putting, but it's not done to be scary. It still bothers me because anytime there's like significant, like rapid, like body changing, I get weirded out. But yeah, he becomes a grown naked man. The, the the Jeff Bridges like he's Jeff and he's Bridges all over the place, but with him picking up the gun, he's watching the 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 footage, uh, and she has been terrified and, and is passed out into a box while wearing um like boots. So Steve, I got to put it to you: How many times have you passed out in a corner? Just you just fall into a box wearing boots? I think I think that's a valid concern that happens to all of us sometimes. I mean, I I've you know. Uh, uh, in college, came home uh, when I lived by myself. Oddly enough, no roommates. Uh, I uh, apparently took my clothes off uh, after coming home from the bar uh, and didn't make it to my bedroom and fell asleep on the couch, completely naked. And uh, woke up the next morning realizing that my door was open. <laughs> so the whole night, I don't know how many people were like, "Hey, there's a naked fat guy on a couch in there. Um, maybe we should close this door for him." Um, don't know how many of those passerbys made it. In, I, well, I mean, you know, whatever. And just as long as they like, you know, like, like cleaned up after themselves. Right. I will say that was it, um, a couple years ago, moving into this house, there was one night we did a zoom, a zoom thing and I was drinking and it just, it all fell apart. And we had air mattresses in our bedroom at the time. Cause we had not moved completely. Somehow I slipped and fell off the air mattress hit and hit my back on the floor. And I said, I'm a baby turtle. And I couldn't get up. And my, and my wife, was uh, really mad at me because I was drunk and I called myself a baby turtle in my forties. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I just I mean I want to make like a meme of you. You know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was a baby turtle. I just I was going nowhere. That's what happened. <laughs> It would be a meme for one person, but uh, I guess technically three people, you, Mary, and myself. Yeah, I find it hilarious. I she was really upset um, at me because I, 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 I wasn't going to get up, but I was like, and I got up eventually and got into my air mattress. She got under air mattress because, you know, we were moving, but I was definitely a baby turtle and it was not going to happen for a minute. So anyway, 
so yeah, we got this naked guy with a gun, um, as you do, right? Um, he eventually lets her know that- Welcome like, to America. Welcome to America, right? Um, the important thing is that that gun, no one questioned his right to have it. That's the important part of the movie. Um, <laughs> that's not the takeaway. But eventually you find out that he needs to get moving. He has multiple space balls that like was like seven or eight of them. That when he becomes an adult, he drops them. I like so. Let me let me say this here. I like that the technology is not like unknowable because we're not supposed to understand it, but we're supposed as as an audience get that this like this is like he has seven or eight get out free like get out jail free cards that he can use. I like that we don't understand the technology, but we understand the intent. I like that. But we eventually find out that he has sent a distress signal to his home world. They tell him you have to get to the the landing site within like what three days, um, and then he, um, you know, basically convinces Jenny to take him because if he doesn't get there in three days' time, one, his people are leaving, and two, he will die. So that's the journey, right? Is them her having to deal with this embodiment that looks like her deceased ex-husband, sorry, not ex-husband, deceased husband, and this thing that's just trying to get home, but also understand humanity. That's the crux of the movie, right? Is Unless there's something, and also the government are pursuing him in a weirdly, like, not mean way. Like, they want to they wanna dissect him, because that's all that happens. No matter what happens, they want to dissect, dissect everything. But the government aren't, like, the bad guys, you know, it's a weird, this is, um, and I have information for this too. Um, they're not villains. They just don't know what's going on, which I think is an interesting element of this film. D- does that make sense? I mean, it would be very easy to paint them in that, that light of, Oh, it's, you know, the government that's chasing ET, you know, that's the, the easiest comparison I can make. I could, I could absolutely see that. Um, what I, I I'm going to take a step back. You said one, um, you can't say spaceballs and not make me think of spaceballs. So um, we have to come up with some other term for them. They're um, space globes, um, space balls. Uh, no, you. Just- <laughs> um, so. <laughs> uh, cos- cosmic spheres. I don't but, know. Uh, no, I. Yeah, I, was, I was trying to I was trying to make a joke there and I got lost in the middle of it. <laughs> Cosmic spheres makes that's the next thing from uh, Little Debbie. Um, but uh, no, uh, there's there's a weird thing going on with the cosmic balls um, <laughs> in that I'm never quite sure when he's using them, and there's also points where I'm like. Um, is the like, for instance, and this is not to the detriment. This is my own like weird tangent. This is not a criticism, but I'm like, like do you think something better to do than like just make that crowbar hot for that guy? Like, <laughs> you know, come up with something a little bit more creative if you're going to attack that guy, or or maybe just beat that guy up. Save your space ball for another time. Yeah, I mean, if this is your like, you know, if you only have like, you know, so many power ups, you know, like. You got to pick and choose. I, I agree with that. However, um, just I, um, so let, let's rewind this just a smidge. Um, the notion of a stranger in a strange land, uh, the other, um, you know, like 
Um, we just talked about the thing at length, you know, a couple episodes ago where it's this foreign invader coming into an area and, um, and Jeff Bridges was actually considered it like to be in the thing, which is funny. Cause I, I don't think we've ever seen a Kurt Russell, Jeff Bridges film, but I kind of want them together now playing brothers, just being old moonshiners. That's the film I want. Um, because, cause you can't like, you can't tell if you were to put them in the same movie as brothers, you're not wrong. Like these, these guys are so they're not interchangeable, but they're so relatable and they're very distinct looking, but they look like they'd be related to each other. I don't think I'm wrong about that. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I want that movie, but I want, I want John Carpenter to direct it. I think that's the only way that you go is you get him in, you know, and maybe we find out that Jeff Bridges is, you know, Snake Plissken's, uh, you know, cousin or, or, or brother from another mother. How about that? Jake Plissken. <laughs> this is Snake Plissken. Meet his brother. Bill. Wait, <laughs> Bill yeah, wait, it's not as creative as the other one. I just, I don't know. Uh, I don't, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but the casting, just this casting, you're, I know this is going to be the strength that we're talking about here. Yeah, but uh, Jeff Bridges, just his choice to, he talked about how he wanted to play this character like a bird and it's, it's motions and reactions. Like it is over the moon, like how effective his portrayal of like, like it, it is something that is like, like how, how would an alien react? And the way he moves his neck and his, 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 um, his viewpoint of understanding is very, it's just very intriguing and, and interesting. And it's all based on his performance and I adore it. Yeah. And I, I don't want to, you know, jump to like, Oh, let's talk about the movie movie overall, but he did, get a, a Academy Award nomination for this. So like it's it's a very strong performance and one that I will now argue perhaps isn't as good if he doesn't have as good of a partner as Karen Allen. Uh I, I love both of them in the movie. Uh I think I think this story and this is where Paul is gonna want to fight me. I think the story is just okay. I think that the characters are well written but I don't know that you fall in love with the two of them. I, I fall in love might not, not be the best way of putting it. But I don't think that you actually um, invent in those characters is a better way of putting it if you have two lesser uh, actors playing those roles. Um, and, you know, we always talk about things in, in sort of a nebulous way where, you know, we try not to throw up too many definitives, except for Paul has... Uh, you know, he has two definitives uh, that uh, uh, his his favorite writer is Ernest Klein, and his favorite show is uh, um, oh god, I can't remember the CBS show now that was uh, Young Sheldon. Uh, those are his two th- favorite things. But uh, <laughs> when it comes to directing, you know, I like that you you couldn't think of the Big uh, Bang Theory, but you went to Young Sheldon's. <laughs> <laughs> you were trying to you were trying to bait me to a reaction and it worked because you could not remember like the other thing that pisses me off. Congratulations, sir. 
Congratulations. I don't know. It happens a lot now as I've gotten older. Uh, and, you know, I will get halfway through like trying to make a joke or something and then realize I've forgotten whatever the reference is that I'm making. I'm like, God damn it. No, but halfway uh, through, know, do you be I, like, that's why we tied an onion to our belt. And do you go into the whole that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but no, like, no you, you, you were, you were 50% of the way there. You, you, you got there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. there it took yeah. me a while. As you but, uh, <laughs> no, um, you know, we, we talk about things, you know, we're doing a whole year of John Carpenter. It, it's, it is hard to tell, like, you know, what are all the things that he's doing that are directly influencing the movie, you know, directing. And I, I guess, you know, it's, kind of it's, it's funny because yeah, i don't think that i've i've heard too many talk of too many people talk about his directing style like there's there's certain directors that you know we'll talk about like for instance the famous one lucas you know harrison ford terry fisher and mark Hamill are treats us essentially like you know he doesn't understand that there's an actor's process there's he doesn't you know it's just well i wrote the lines don't you just read them the way i wrote them um, you know, I don't know, you know, cause I, I made the, the comparison that maybe this movie doesn't work as well as it does if you have two different actors in these roles, which I still maintain, but I also, the reverse of that, you know, are their performances so good because, you know, uh, Carpenter brings out of them. Um, and I realized that just took us on a huge tangent and off topic we're still the movie, you know, what is, you know, Carpenter's fingerprints, his influence. His fingerprints is what you're saying. He certainly has a, yeah, yeah, his fingerprints. Thank you. So, okay. So one thing I want to put this to you and you could chew on this for a second. What, what if, um, what if this film was Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher in those roles? And then two, let's simmer on that for a second. And two, Carpenter's influence is that he knows how to make the otherworldly, feel otherworldly so i forgot while watching this i one i forgot that this was the same plot as star trek the motion picture right with the v'ger thing going on i forgot about that i I mean i remember the satellite going out there but i was like oh but what if there was a gas cloud that was like thank you and then one this film was like we're gonna send like this like nice guy down versus star trek where it's like uh we're gonna destroy the universe anyway bold choice two um I forgot about um, there's things in this film that we look at now that wouldn't happen in today's films. What, I, what I'm saying to you is whenever there's the crash scene with the, uh, the probe crashing it, like how much destruction and explosions happen, you're like, okay, great. That's a movie thing. But there's the helicopter shot later of how much force they destroyed to make that look legitimate. That would never happen now. Like that is, that is Carpenter with his whole, like it ha- you have to believe it. Right. And also I think the character of, um, Oh shit. What's his name? Um, Oh goddamn The, the, the guy that was, um, it was, uh, Mark, Mark Sherman. He is our everyman, And I think like, and I think that's where you hang your hat with him being like, he wants to believe, but he also doesn't want to be interrupted eating a sandwich, watching a basketball game. Like there, there's something there I think is very a uh, carpenter. Like, Oh, I have my job, but like, Oh shit, this is for real. I have to go out there. I like that. Um, but also, um, 
other carpenter parts of this, I think that he understands like when the fantastic happens, when we cage it, when we couch it in the real world, it becomes more fantastic. So here, let me, let me um, pull this back for a second. And by fantastic, I might mean spectacle. Um, you know, like we're living in a small town. There's a dude with a mask going around and just like easily annihilating people. You can't believe it's happening, but you're looking at that and everything is going on. is fantastic. And it's like, it just, it blows your mind. Um, it's just a bunch of dudes at an outpost and it's like, like the, the, we, we all like them because like they get along and then things get crazy. Um, it's a kid that loves a car and then it gets crazy. Here's a woman grieving her lost husband and like in the same night, she is so drunk. She doesn't hear like, by the way, I, I got to relate to her. An alien spaceship crashed outside. You didn't hear it cause you're drunk and you went to sleep. Fair play. Um, you know, game recognizes game, right? Um, and then she wakes up before she went to bed. She fell. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, please. No, no. You're saying no. She even told herself. She's like, yeah, I can't do this right now after topping (laughs) off her wine glass multiple times. Right? No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, so please, you're about to say something. No, no, I, I, you, you were making the joke about like being so like passed out that you don't hear a uh, ship crash outside your window. But I think, you know, um, and, and this is what I was going back to. It wasn't like me either giving credit to, to, or it was more of like a, you know, <laughs> I talk about Halloween in the sense of like it's a John Carpenter movie, and I know all the integral like working pieces that made that a John Carpenter movie in the sense that. You had, you know, um, Deborah Hill and you had Dean Cundy and all these around him uh, making that movie. I, I understand the parts of that, like how they all congeal into that stew. With this, I'm wondering, is this something because it is a smaller story in the sense of you've got two main characters and you're with them pretty much the entire movie. Um You know, I'm, I'm wondering, like, how he approached this and, you know, if if the performances of this are so good um you know because of the way he directed him and, and i'm going to say this and it's going to sound like a um a negative comment but not a negative comment at all it's it's just that like some directors are like you know what i like to let the actors just feel it out and you know um like kevin smith i think is a director who's gone from being like i wrote this on the page say it exactly the way i wrote it around have fun with you know i'm wondering what his style was in working with them on the set and i i i can't help but wonder you mentioned at the beginning of the the at the beginning of the movie beginning of us talking about the movie that um carpenter was going through some things in his life and uh you know a lot of what he was going through is kind of reflected in the movie itself you know i'm wondering if that is a piece of it you know if him you know he's approaching it in the sense of like you're dealing with grief um, and and maybe using his own life to whether consciously or subconsciously, but using it to give direction to his actors. I do wonder. That's fair. You know, um, I, I don't have a lot of information about that. However, I'll say this one. I think like Carpenter is more receptive. Like we talked about this on the thing where um, like I think I talked about there was that uh, panel, the Texas Frightmare panel 
where people would mention things to him, but he would also be like, you know, just do it. And then he would actually listen. So I think he was like, if something was better than he had, he would let people do it. And I think with Jeff Bridges being this character, it's a bold choice for him to be like, yeah, what if I'm a space bird and I'm getting weird? And the way his dick, the way he says things and the way he like carries himself, that's a bold choice. But I'm going to guess as he's looking at the dailies, Carpenter's like, that's the right way to go. It's probably better than I would have expected. So I like that. Um, and also like, I don't know, like I think he is open to collaboration more so than, um, say Hitchcock, right? Where Hitchcock would already have the, the, the script, uh, hammered out. And then whenever people would like bring it to him be like, but what about this? He's like, yeah, sure. But you're not going into my blocking for the shot correctly to say the words that we're done type of thing. I don't think Carpenter was Hitchcock in the sense of like, here's the script. This is what we do. I think there was a, like, I think it's a collaborative effort. However, I think the intent and there, this, you talk about this being a small film. I agree with you completely about that. Right. Um, I think that, um, you know, you have, you have the, the, the roadway in place and you go forward and there's these, um, not happy accidents, but like whenever other people bring to you of like, how should I play this? I think, I think he was more receptive and also, especially considering that his, um, and maybe this is me projecting. So forgive me, everybody. This is my own conjecture and Steve, you can judge me accordingly with his own personal life kind of falling apart. As somebody said, Hey, I, I think this is how the character would react in the situation. He might've been more open to it because he himself is dealing with a very, um, um, complicated home life. You know what I mean? Like, cause they're like their whole thing here too. There, he ended up falling in love with the script supervisor. I think like, I think that was her role, uh, named Sandy King during this time. Um, that, um, you know, we, we, we've kind of seen his tendencies, right? There's a thing when, when you have collaborators and people close at hand, uh, you know, Deborah Hill, Adrian Barbo, Sandy King, like, you know, he has his own connections and how do you, how do you translate that when you're dealing with all this stuff? I think, um, here's my bold statement, Steve, you can react to this. Um, I know that like there was the popularity of ET, like, especially cause the thing failed, right? Um, this is, this is John Carpenter's version of ET via like, you know, grownups. Like, does that make sense? Like, I think that's, this is his way of like, yeah, but ET, but like, it's actually like way more approachable than a lumpy potato alien talking to a kid. Oh, that I was a lumpy potato alien as a child. Uh, as am um, I right now. It's fine. I get it. It's fine. I'm, I'm drinking no, I, beer. I, I'm drinking beer and uh, a bathrobe and I'm falling down. It's fine. Okay, I, it's fine. Yeah. Continue, please. <laughs> All right. Uh, there, there are quite a few thoughts that came up uh, uh, while you're talking, and uh, so there's two things that I'll say. One, this movie comes out at a time I don't see it in the theater, um, but I see it on either HBO or Showtime the following year. Um, it's a movie that I look at what I was watching at that age and the stuff that I was interested in, and I'm like, this movie should not have appealed to me as a a 11 year old boy it's it's very much a grown-up movie in the sense that uh, i shouldn't say space movie it's a grown-up alien movie if you will um 
But you'd mentioned earlier about me uh, being a little bit older and maybe I had a different experience, dot, dot, dot. But like with this, you know, this was this was purely something that I watched on cable. And I think I took it for the visual feast that it is. Um, but I don't know. I really understood it. You know, it was just like, oh, it's an alien who comes to, to you know, Earth and, you know, um, and it's bad and the alien, you know, gets to go home and, and everybody's happy. Like, I think that's probably what I was. I was not at a point where I was able to realize how much um, humanity and how much uh, uh, human experience, I guess, is written into the story. Um, you know, it's a story of grief. It's a story of, you know, um I, I, I don't want to say segregation because that's not the right word, but uh, a fear of a paranoia of, um, of of an alien, uh, but also this point of view of like you know we reached out and something responded. It's here. Why aren't we, you know, responding and kind kind of thing? Like there's there's big adult themes happening in this movie that um, I clearly would not have been able to really take in. Uh, as a as a young kid, watch it. Um, and the other thing that I want to go back to is is your, you know, what if this was made with Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, and and you know, going back to um, the going back to the comment I made earlier about Star Wars um, and how George Lucas. Isn't known for being able to really work with actors and get them to places where they need to perform. He's much more of a like, hey, stand here and look at that green screen and say this. He's he's you know he's not really the in touch director of like, all right, we're going to talk about something from your childhood and we're going to use it in this scene and you know building your characters or your person with places where they find the emotion needed. Um, you know, I, I do I don't know what that movie would be because if you look at at, at Harrison Ford, the two characters that he's known for, I'm pretty sure that on solo I will say half on the page Ford. Um I feel like Indiana Jones, however, the other big character, I feel like that's you know, seventy five percent Harrison Ford and twenty five percent um, Spielberg being like some direction. Here's what we know about the character. Here's where the character's at, uh, and go. So you know, I don't know like what kind of version of 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 this character Harrison Ford would have played. I would like to think that he'd play it as sympathetic and um, naive. Maybe the best best word like the the just played with such. Um, open eyes such uh you know wonder in the sense that like like he's not looking at trees and being like isn't this beautiful man but like he's looking at things very much in the way that i think you know you mentioned the bird piece of it but i feel like also like somebody who would literally like anytime that somebody takes something in new like i feel like they do well i will say that remember i don't know if you remember, I don't know, remember kids, if you remember the, the harrison harrison ford film regarding henry like when he was like you know, like that was the whole thing where it's like, he was like after a stroke trying to come back and like, I don't know. It's like the whole thing of like, in terms of like, you think of like character actors here, it's like in terms of like people you could put in these pieces, I'm curious. 
I am curious. I'm cutting you off. I apologize for that, but I'm curious, but I think, I don't know, Jeff Bridges, like just, I, I, can I say that I appreciate that they shot all the, like the, um, the, the film stuff. What, by the way, I like that (laughs) by like that. I mean, it's silly that her photo album went from like photos of her family and then him as a kid, but then every photo of him was wearing red flannel and a hat. Like you could have switched it out for a second. It's fine. It's fine. Like, you don't need to take every photo of that one day that that thing happened. But anyway, like, he, he just, just, here, like, Harrison Ford, sorry. Uh, Jeff Bridges, the way he's able to be very outgoing and, like, silly during the film footage and the way that he reacts to himself, I just, he should have won the Oscar. It's, one, it's a crime. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And I have to admit, I, I did not uh, look up to see who actually won that year. And unfortunately, I don't have the technology to do so now. Um, uh, but uh, uh, it was somebody from Amadeus. That, <laughs> there was, uh, it was from somebody from the film Amadeus. I looked at like I saw that later. Yeah, oh, he, he okay. did. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. You no. Know, I, 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 again, this is not me trying to raise one or lower the other, because I think that, like, you know, you mentioned like, oh, I want to see the Kurt Russell uh, you know, Jeff Bridges movie. Now that it's put in my head, I'm like, I kind of want to see the Jeff Bridges, Russell Harrison Ford movie. Like oh, those three guys yes, have never please. acted together. That'd be like, amazing. Also uh, brief, brief aside, <laughs> brief aside. It was F Murray Abraham from Amadeus that actually won that, uh, that Oscar. So there we go. That that's who, that's who won it, which we, we all love. F. Murray uh, Abraham. Yeah. We love him. Yeah. Who but, will, C.W. Longbottom from Mythic Quest. (laughs) Yeah. Stealer of Oscars from Jeff Bridges for Starman. Yes. (laughs) Um, The voice voice of Khonshu took the Oscar from Jeff Bridges. (laughs) But the the other thing that I would point to is, is that, you know, on the reverse side of it, you know, if you're looking, Carrie Fisher, you know, being plugged into that role. I, I do feel like, and I don't know if some of it is dictated by stereotyping. I don't know if some of it's dictated by her personal interests or if it's dictated, fortunately, by the place that she was with drug abuse in her life. But, you know, I do wonder why Carrie Fisher didn't go on to these types of roles because she's somebody who clearly loved character. Mm-hmm. She was somebody who clearly loved writing. She goes on to write books and um, becomes a script doctor at one point. Like she's somebody who really got character, I think. Um, so, you know, I do wonder, like, oh, I wonder what that character would be, like what her t- on it. Um, but again, and again, I don't mean to raise one to lower the other, but Karen Allen is just so fantastic in this. And it does seem weird to be like, hey, we took Indiana Jones's, um, you know, girlfriend from this movie and, and she's, you know, leading this. And then it's like, what's the comparison? Carrie Fisher, his girlfriend from the other movie. And I do not mean to demean either of them by calling them that. I just mean that, like, Harrison Ford's the connecting link. Uh But, yeah, I going back to those two characters, I, I just – or two actors, my apologies, Karen Allen and Jeff Bridges. I, I feel like there's a trust between the two of them and watching them work together in that there's a lot of heavy lifting, and I don't feel like either one of them is letting the other one done. 
down for doing that, you know, because Justice Day, all this stuff about, you know, being an alien life form who's a form that's much different than anyone would think, or he doesn't, your comparison to birds earlier, like he's playing it with uh, a way of like looking at it through a specific lens. And then you've got um, Karen Allen, who's like, like come around to the idea that this alien now looks like her husband, but she's got to get him to where he needs to be. I, I think that they're just so good in that. And I think mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, uh, well, so there, there's the chemistry. I don't wanna, again, I, I always feel like I'm like, Oh, comparing, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, there's the, there's that bit where my, apologies. no, no, Jim, Jim, okay. Sorry. No, um, no, there's the bit whenever she actually like in the women's restroom, she uses like, you know, a towel to write, like I'm kidnapped or whatever. And then he bursts in again, even let, let's, let's, let's go back a little bit and talk about how much this film is really, really endearing. There's actually really good bits of humor in this film. You know, that's, that's not atypical of a carpenter film, but there's actually a lot of good humor in this, especially when she goes to the rest of the first time and he walks in and there's that brief bit where she's like, no, you, you don't go here. You go over here, which I mean, you know, say what you want now, but it's like, yeah, you need to go to the mail restroom. And then the one guy goes in there and then, uh, you got Starman looking at him and he's just like, he thumbs up. <laughs> the guy's like every place I go to, like, <laughs> it's like, that's a funny bit. But whenever he goes back into the women's restroom and doesn't doesn't really look at the message of her being kidnapped and until we reveal later, because she's looking at him, looking around, and she starts to realize, like, he doesn't get this. Like, like I don't know if you do this film now, and I don't know if that plays the same way, but that's a really interesting bit. Um, and the way she plays it where she's terrified... And the way he plays it, where he's more curious, um, I think it's really effective. I just don't know if you were able to get get away with that now. I'm not speaking as some type of like um, it's not it's not offensive now, but it's like it feels um, there was an innocence there. I don't know if we can get back. Does that make sense? It does, but I also when you said when you said I don't know that you can make this movie today, I. Uh, uh, there's part of me that's like, yeah, you can, but you're doing it for budget. Or there's a you know executive who's like, you know what? Can't we have more action in here? Can't Jeff Bridges like you know at the beginning of the movie, and then has to learn that he's, and then you know secretly fall with him, but then you know ninjas show up. You know, like I feel like that would be the version that would happen today. No, no. So if you, did, wrong, if, if you did but, this film today, you know, I feel like so, you, you either. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, please. No, 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 I, I cut you off. No, if you did this film today and I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, you make Starman. This is the awkward part. Well, cause Skype has been a bastard tonight. So I apologize to everybody. Skype has been a bastard. Um, so if you made the, if you actually made this film today, you'd have this, you'd have the Starman itself. Uh, crash. I don't even, I don't even know if America is the right, but if you, if you did it, it would crash on like the Texas Mexico border and it would have him identify with, you know, 
like a minority family and have them try to get him to, uh, or, or them, however you want to do it. Like I, you know, he, she, them, I just, I, all, all things would be, yep. I agree with that belch. Um, but I'm saying get them, maybe even have them cross the border illegally and showing like the humanity of like, you know, you need to get home. We're going to get you home. And then showing like how caring people, individuals can be, but how cruel humanity can be. This film can still be still be made today, and I think it's important if you did an update of it. What I'm saying in terms of there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of innocence. Not innocence is not the right word. Um, blissful ignorance that goes into this film, and I'm not blaming Carpenter and company because this was made '84, and um, I'll, I'll tell you my reaction to this film of the recent watch later. But yeah, you could remake this. But like, if you're going to do it, you can't just make it like <laughs> you can't just make it a white dude from Milwaukee trying to get to Arizona. You can't do that anymore because that's not, that's not the American struggle. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, it's, it's a white dude with a white woman in a car, a Mustang. <laughs> Gotta go to Arizona. I don't know. That seems like, that seems like uh checkered flags all the way down, you know, <laughs> like, pretty easy like i think um i think there's a way to do this again and make this like if you did an update which i think carpenter would be okay with i also can i say here with with our skype delay that carpenter and company and sorry and the writer uh reisner actually made it a point to try to remove some of the the more political nature of the script out not that carpenter wasn't a political director but he like I, I forgive me. Um, he was trying to show people that he could make a film that wasn't like a horror film, um, that, that had an agenda as opposed to just being a love story and that there could be a beating heart to it. So he actually trimmed out a lot more of the political leanings of this. And I understand why, because he came out swinging before this, like with what he believed and he, he kept getting kind of smashed in the face as a director of what would be successful and what would not be, or what would be allowed to have a, a budget. This is one of those ones where he's like, I could say all these things or, or I could just show the critics that keep shitting on me that I'm capable of just doing a simple love story. So Steve, you talk now. I've been talking for a bit. Well, I'd just like to say that I thought I was muted uh, during that uh, very long interrupt. Um, you kept swearing yeah, all the it, entire it's, time. It's, I get it. It's fine. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting. Um, the uh, I, 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 We've talked about this before. I'm always the guy who hesitates to say, like, well, you can't do this movie today. Um you know, and I don't want to really because I don't think anybody's itching to to remake Starman. Not that it's not a brilliant movie, or that you know it's not among you know top half or of his career or anything like that. It just um, it's it's one of those things where um, you mentioned the political side. Like, yeah, you know, there's part of me that's like, yeah, you know, I, I definitely feel like an area that could be explored. But I think the, just the doing the simple 
love story is something that I feel like would be complicated to do today, you know, because it would have to be, you know, everything. And, and not that it didn't need to be marketable 40 years ago, but I do feel like there's a piece of it where it's like, oh, you know, it's, you know, the the the, the star man now either has to be, you know, uh, and I'm trying to think of who the modern equivalent of like a uh, Jim Carrey would be in the sense of like a younger actor or like uh, being comedic uh, or um, Pete Davidson. You know, it, it, Why not? There's there's a piece of it that just feels like oh. <laughs> Yeah, let's just shoot Pete Davidson. Sure, sure. Why not? Right. <laughs> you know, and he shows up, and and uh, you know, he's got all the tattoos, and um, uh, he wants to be a fireman. Uh, but <laughs> I just, yeah, if I'm <laughs> if I'm being a ser- if I'm being serious, uh, yeah, I don't know, like. I feel like there's also a way that this could be done today in a similar manner, but uh, done for like, you know, no money. And, and you know, uh, it's literally just, you know, a, 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 a sparse crew putting shots together. And I the reason I bring this up is, is that uh, front of the show, Richard, um, he and I were going back and forth because uh I, I was working on something the other night and uh, I messaged him because I was like, you know what? I was like, I hadn't revisited this film, Hellbender, which was on the latest season of, of Joe Bob's It's a Dare, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to check it out again because I, I, I did that movie. And uh, we had this conversation about like, that movie is made by a family. Um, and when I say a family, I mean, it's literally like a mom, a dad, and his two kids. Like, that's, you know, I, they have other people that they work with, but, like, it's, they're the, the central crew. Um, and, you know, I, that movie is so good-looking, and a movie where you're like, ah, this shouldn't be this good for it being literally a mom, a dad. And, and the, not that they didn't have, like, experience or, you know, like, this was the first movie they ever made, but, like, there was just this weird thing of like this movie is they they shouldn't be this talented I guess as kind of the conversation that, that I and Richard had and I, I feel like you know I'm not saying they should be the ones remaking this but there's there's a version of this where I'm like you know you you get like a you know a very small crew of people and it's the right mixture somebody can remake this story and do it well um, my the, the big budget version of it though is. You know, is there a way that we could somehow put an alien war at the beginning of the movie and he's a refugee or, you know, I, I don't know. I, if you're saying this movie can't be made today at the like mid-level budget this is made, then yes, I would say that. No, I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, yes, it can be remade today. What I'm saying is like there's a certain amount of innocence there in this film that I don't think you, uh, you could have now. Like I like that's all that's all I'm saying is that there's a certain amount of um okay let me let me fast forward here and I have some other trivia here about the film uh, before I get into it uh, about how so like another being has fell fell onto Earth they've crash landed um, they they found somebody that like can get them to where they need to go to get out and that's this person believes and they're the better the better tendencies of humanity will come through even though he says 
oh, are you, do you kill deers because deers eat us? Which I think it's funny because she said, no, you can't tell me that deer don't eat people. I don't know. Anyway, um, there, there is this, like, sorry, there's this blissfulness that like somehow their um, humanity will always come through. Um, I don't know if I believe that anymore. I don't, I honestly do not. So what I'm saying is that I think this film can still be made now, but I think the humanity of the people that would be involved with the Starman would be smaller in terms of like what they can do and how, and like they realize it's like, Oh shit, we're a family. He needs to get back to his family and the struggles going through. Um, that I'm not saying is not evident here, but this is weird thing where it's like, Oh, you had, you had this, this weird thing fall in your backyard and you believe in it. Here we go. We're good. I just, I don't know, man. Like that's, that's what pisses me off and frustrates me is that not, not this film, not at all. Could I, so Steve, can I tell you that this film is, is so hopeful that we could do better that, in 2022, it's not true. You know, it's just, it isn't. So that's what I'm frustrated. When I say that you can't make this film now, um, what I'm saying, you can still make a hopeful film and you can give a shit about everybody involved, but you can't make this blind, blind, um, like, Oh, this is okay. And then the government's also like, you got this guy from SETI who's not a government official that they let him go into a spaceship. Like we know better. <laughs> like, Hey, weirdo that just eating a sandwich a day ago, go into the space hole and find out what's going on. That would never happen. Um, but like this hopeful, so, so optimism- what sorry, go you're ahead, saying please. Is, yes. is that yeah. I'm cutting you off. My please apologies. do, please do. Please what do. you're saying here. Uh, is that uh, the movie that would be made today is uh, Zack Snyder's Starman. Bullshit. No, I'm not saying Zack Snyder. I'm saying that, um, do not, do not say that. What I'm saying is like more like, um, you, you watched Nope. You watched Jordan Peele's Nope recently, right? Um, I'm not seeing that, but like, uh, did you see Nope? I think you saw Nope, right? So no, I, okay. No, I, I, my wife saw Nope. Oh. I did not get to go. So, so what you're saying is project that I'm behind on. So what you're saying is, um, I can't go to the movies. You've, you, you noped. Nope. Okay. But what I'm saying is like, what if like, what, like monkey's paw, not necessarily Jordan Peele, but like, like another person, part of like monkey's paw productions or whatever, did a remake of Starman? I'd be down for that because I'm curious as hell as, um, their take on it. And especially we talked last week where someone's like, you made three amazing movies. Are you the master horror? And then Jordan Peele's like, yeah, but John Carpenter shut up. Like how amazing would that be? If they like did a version of Starman? Oh my gosh, I'd be down. Take my money. Right. Like, um, and I'm also, I'm going to reverse this for a second saying, I, I love this movie. I think, I think it is, um, it's probably where this is probably the most romantic we'll ever get John Carpenter. Rightfully. So this film, uh, it is full of heart and as much as he, and I'll put this to you, Steve too. Um, well, I was taking my notes on my phone and I have some, some stupid ass notes, um, for this film. 
Um, it, it, it is interesting to me that he considers this work a gun for hire, just like he did Christine, the previous film. But somehow we get like some of his best character work out of the both of these films. I, I, I that, that's fascinating to me. I don't have a direct like statement or critiqued critique, not critiqued. That's not a word. Um, but do you know what I mean? Like Karen Allen's character. And like, we also get like, uh, Arnie, uh, from Christine. Like, this is like, I don't know. Like, I feel like this is the, like the most in-depth character, um, until we're proven otherwise from Carpenter. Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the one that I think that has, you know, come after me, uh, internet. Um, but, uh, they're, they're easily the most defined characters in the sense that, uh, they feel the most real. Um, and even though one of them is an alien, uh, I, I love snake Pliskin. I, I love, uh, I was going to say big trouble in little China because I, I, could not think of Kurt Russell's character in that, uh, but I, I love to live. I, I love Halloween. I, I love all these things. And, you know, I, I can't help but think, you know, uh, these are probably the best defined characters in any of his films, I guess might be the best way of putting it or trying to put it succinctly, which is not something I'm ever capable of doing. But uh, they are the most rounded characters. They probably have the most to 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 show. Um, you know, I, I I feel you know yeah, like Nada in in uh, they live <laughs> like he's you know a bit of an everyman, even though that he's you know built like a a, a brick house and uh, but there's a that character is sort of like. I, I we're going to talk about the lifts. I'm going to leave that discussion alone, but like it's, it's, it's 180 degrees away from, or maybe 364 degrees away from, you know, uh, what Jeff Bridges is here. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I, when it comes to characters and in Carpenter films, they may be the, the most well-defined. Uh, and I feel like I have to make an argument for it, but I, I think that's, why you love the movie um and i think you know for me i think it's it's a really interesting movie with great performances but i i I feel like in lesser hands it doesn't work as well uh but i still don't know that it reaches the highs of of the carpenter highs so that's uh, fair deal with that as you will i will i will i will shun you now no so can i can i ask this question um so when we talked about Christine a month ago with, um, and you said that film didn't quite connect with you because the, the script was like very, very fast. And there were some connections made there. It left you a little lacking. Do you feel like this also like, uh, comparatively, like, do you feel like they're kind of hand in hand about like, I like it, but it's not the best. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the, th- we, the big thing that I took away from Christine was is that uh, I I was able to kind of watch it and not think about, even though they kept coming up throughout the episode, I watched that without really thinking about, you know, the issues that I'd run into previously watching it, and I enjoyed the performances so much more. 
Um, and I, I feel like that's definitely something that's in common here. Um, and I, I'm blanking on his name now. The, the gentleman who um, played the uh, main character in Christine. Um, oh, but shit. Uh, um, I talked about actually, Keith Gordon. You, you gushed about his performance of Arnie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Keith as Arnie, um, particularly in that scene where you know he says "show me" and Christine reacts. Um, you know, I, I think that 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 there's there's that those are the two things that probably connect these movies together. And and you're right, like they're they're good movies, but they're not my favorite Carpenter movies. Well, okay, I'm sorry that you're wrong. I'm kidding. I'm that <laughs> no no. So can I? Okay, so let me. Um, let me give a little bit more trivia here. I know that like, like, Hey everybody, we're two hours in who knows where we're going next, right? Like, here we go. So, um, here, so, all right, here we go. Some trivia. You ready for some trivia? We'll get some trivia. Uh, Dean Hundy and Raymond Stella were working on back, back to the future. So we know that that was the, uh, cinematographer and, uh, panic lied, operators that were not available because like he picked carpenter picked other people for christine um we got um uh donald morgan and charles swibert doing uh the cinematography and the panic glide you can't i don't know like can you tell me that like that there is a distinct carpenter look for a film you like as much as like dean cundy has a visual style you can't convince me that these guys didn't do it either. Like there is a distinct look to these films and these guys, um, like picked up the torch and ran with it. I agree with that. I, I, I feel like, uh, and again, this is just my opinion, but I feel like, uh, uh, Carpenter has a, a sense of, and I know how this is going to sound when it comes out of my mouth. There's a sense of realism with his films. For as fantastical as they get, there's a very blue collar, very realistic feel to those films. And I don't think that that changes with uh, uh, the uh, changes in cinematographers or people that he's working with. I feel like he does approach a lot of things from a ground level or from a a position of like they have a realism to them. Um when we were talking about Superman, Richard Donner used the term verisimilitude, you know, in approaching Superman. He's like, if you make it real, people will believe it, you know. Uh, and I, I feel like that's – if I'm trying to narrow down when you say a visual style in that sense, all of his films, even when they have fantastical elements, still feel very real. Yeah, there's this, this is the grounded matter-of-factness that I appreciate. So, all right. So let me um, – this is – this will not surprise you. Um, the score was not done by John Carpenter. When you hear it, I think the score to this is amazing. Like it is, it just, it just cuts to, it just cuts through. I love it. So, um, one of the producers of the film was Michael Douglas. So think about that. Um, you know, uh, Hank Pym, right? So, <laughs> um, he was telling Carpenter, he's like, you need to let, uh, Jack and Nitschke do the music. So, um, uh, so Douglas told Carpenter, he's like, he's a stoke cold genius. And he's like, I thought, wow. Uh, he's like, he did some research. And so, um, Nitschke actually wrote the song needles and pens. Do you know that song or not? Uh, from the sixties? Oh yeah. 
Uh, needles and pins, needles and pins. Do you have any needles and pins? I need to finish my quilt. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly the lyrics. Congratulations. No, um, it's, it's, it's very much like a light, uh, rock and roll. Like it's not that far off from like red rubber ball or whatever, but like, yeah, he's like, Oh shit. This is a guy that wrote like a rock and roll song. Like by, by rock and roll, you mean fifties rock and roll? Like, you know, like, so the score to this is like, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sorry, you could laugh, but you know what I mean? Like that's that fifties, like four man, no. like white guy, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Sorry, you're going to say. <laughs> yes. It's just so funny that you describe it. No, it's just funny to me that you describe it that way. I'm bringing this to a halt, uh, to a halt just to laugh at. So go on. No, but it's like he was like, but Carpenter, you know, he has a music mind and he, you know, he has his likes and dislikes. He's like, yeah, I can bring this guy in. The score to this, like, I can't tell you. It is, it is, it's, it's, um, it's like, tangerine dream adjacent you know what i mean like it's like it's just oh it like i i think the score to this is actually really really good and watching this now i when i watched it pre like i ended up watching this a couple years ago with my wife because i was trying to explain to her how i love starman i didn't realize this wasn't a carpenter score and listening to this now in hindsight i'm like oh this is very much not a carpenter score but um as much as the thing score is Ennio Morricone kind of aping Carpenter, like we'll say that's an 80, 20, right? 80%, um, like, you know, Morricone, 20% Carpenter. Um, that's not even, that's not even accurate because of the synth in there. So maybe, maybe 60, 40, this is, you get the idea that like, he understands like, like the, the sweeping epicness, my God, the bit when they're in the crater and that the, the, the main theme picks up again, I just, I, the music and the, the, the score in this is like, it works. It works really, really well. And credit to Carpenter that he actually like let go and did this as much as he calls us a gun for hire. I think he, again, we talked about this earlier. He's like, Oh shit. This is a guy who did a rock song. I like, he's going to come up with the cool music and he was right to let the music in here. Because as much as I think that Carpenter would have done a good job with the scoring for this, the scoring that we get for like the soundtrack for this and how there is this fantastical element, it fits perfectly. Like I really, really, really like the film score for this. Well, I hate to say this. Uh, um, not that I think it's a bad score. I think some some people who write music for movies would would feel uh, this is a compliment. People, other people would not. I I, I hate to admit it. Like I I don't know that I noticed the oh big piece of the film. Um, I think that it probably enhanced the movie, and I feel a little you know ashamed that I I didn't notice it. But also sometimes I think that is the music is in the scene if you're thinking about the music can take you out of the that's my half-assed way of saying that like i feel bad that i don't have a take on the music but <laughs> i agree with you that like you know thinking back on it 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 does you know uh you know it, it does work well you know that score really didn't there it's the film but i hate to admit that i just 
Well, that's fair. No, that's fair. But like that also speaks to the person approaching the project that understands what came before. So I will give you that. Like, I'm not going to fight you on this. The whole bit at the end of the crater, whatever, um, you know, he has to go with Jenny and it's like, they're like, you talk about Carpenter's footprints. Look at the, look at the lighting, the, the selection of lighting in this. It's amazing. And like, I don't know. Like, I think his fingerprints are all over this. And then also there's the bit too, whenever um, Karen Allen and Jeff Bridges are leaving the checkpoint and it's in Monument Valley, you can't tell me he wasn't stoked to be like, oh, I'm shooting all the shit in like Western Valley. Like, you know, I don't know. Like this is this for being a gun for hire, as much as Christine was a gun for hire carpenter. Like you can tell he was like, I don't know about this. And he's like, oh shit, we can make this cool. That's, I think that's the kind of, it's kind of how I feel about this. And, um, I don't know. Like it's just, um, I have some other trivia about how I ended up landing on terms of the box office. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to get into. Look at us wrapping up an episode, maybe, maybe three and a half hours. Not all right, Steve say things. Uh, so yeah, I, I just, uh, you're going to talk about the box office and everything like that. I, I do want to say that, uh, you know, this is a movie that I, I, I do like, and it, it's a weird thing of like, it's a movie that I like, but I have, because it's Carpenter, I have specific pieces of his filmography that I love. So it, it's, it's really hard to, you know, uh, make it sound like it's not some sort of like backhanded compliment. I do think this is a really good movie performances are wonderful in it i think that you know uh, there's some a little bit of i guess going you know idea of like the ignorance is bliss piece of this story i feel like some of that's a little too embraced uh in the movie um that's uh, that takes us down a whole other road i'm not gonna go down that road Overall, really like the movie. Uh, it's definitely in the top half of Carpenter's, um, you know, filmography. But uh, I also happen to like a movie where he was like, you know what? I'm going to write a movie about a guy who kills people because somebody called me and was like, hey, make a movie about somebody who kills people. I, 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 <laughs> I realize that I, I'm, I'm diminishing, you know, his approach, but I, I it's just weird sometimes the things that connect with you and the things that, that don't. But. Uh, I, I do genuinely like this movie. And the last bit that I will say, as you are now jumping into uh, the box office performance, I do have also memories of watching the show that was spawned from this. And you have to think this must have been some sort of a hit for there have to been a spinoff show starring Airplane's Robert Hayes, which why I don't know, but it, it ran for two seasons. You mean and I Robert, you mean Airplane's? Airplanes Robert Hayes is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do remember it, 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 uh, you know, it, it played um, almost a contrast to this. The whole, this is, he's like, I can, I gotta leave. I gotta go. You can't come with me. I'm leaving you this baby. It's going to do X, Y, Z and become this thing. Um, the whole premise of the story, I believe, it, or if I remember correctly, the series is that 
the mother's gone, so he's got to come back and take care of the kid. Is what I remember the basic premise being, and I could be wrong on that, but um, I'm curious to know how well it did financially that it actually spurned uh, a, a TV series, which maybe back then was, you know, like a lower level of success in the sense that, like, now it's like you get a TV series out of your movie and then people are like, woo, you're doing yep. it right. So I don't know. All right, so all right, so uh, let me before I get to the box office mojo for the year because this was released in December, but I um I I, the, I clicked down for like what was it in your, in your releases like versus what they actually um, garnered. I have some notes while writing watching this one. Um, you look for food station, so we all re- we respect that. Um, this is Dirk Blocker's Brooklyn Nine Nine origin story. So just let you know, you'll appreciate that because I think he's Scully on Brooklyn Nine Nine or the other one. It was like, oh, you you dealt with a star man. Now you're in New York. It's fine. I get that. Um, I gave you a baby. Is that, is that an appropriate thing to say to somebody right now? I don't know. Anyway, um, also I want to say that like when he uh, gave a Jenny a baby, he was like, Oh, if you don't want to, I can end that. So I'm going to say Starman respects people's body autonomy more so than the Supreme court. So I'm throwing out there as well. Um, but then Jenny was okay with it. I'm going to say that this is the origin of Peter Quill, um, as star Lord, just throwing it out there as well. Uh, and then I'm also going to throw this as well. The U S government never trusts aliens. Look it up. It's true. Um, but there's also the bit, whatever, um, uh, um, Starman and Jenny end up in the box car. That's that, that whole sequence looks like a callback to the searchers, which is a John Ford Western that Carpenter probably loves a great deal. So throwing it out there. Um, but yeah, um, he gave him a baby. So anyway, let's get into, uh, the box office. You want to get into that real quick? Yes. All right. So in terms of like overall um, box office for the year of 1984, nothing ever happened in that year. Nothing like that. that no one talks about that. It, it's, it's an okay year, right? Um, Starman ended up uh, at number 30 uh, with um, uh, 28 million uh, versus um well, it opened with 2.8 because it opened in December, but it ended up at uh, um, 28 uh, million. Like, it actually, it made money. It was like half its budget, but it made money. So number 30 for 84. Uh, I should Steve, should I do a higher or lower for you where we're at with this? I hate to say it. Unfortunately, Skype broke up. I only got a little bit of that. Should, should I throw was. should I throw out to you because Skype's being a bastard, higher or lower than Starman at number thirty for eighty four? Should should I throw that out to you before we uh, wrap it up? All right, go ahead. All right, the last Starfighter, higher or lower than Starman? Lower. Yeah, thirty one. <laughs> so Starman made twenty eight million. The last Starfire who did 28,000, sorry, 28,733,290. Not by much. Directed by Dick Castle. 
a Michael Myers. All right. Um, the, the, Steve talking about what we mentioned earlier, <laughs> um, Friday 13th, the final chapter, better or worse. So you're talking about the fourth film, which, uh, we've not talked about, which that that's the D the deer hunter we talked about, right? He was in that one. Right. So was that the one? That the asshole was yes. in, the, yeah. Ted White. Ted White. Yep. Um, did he? Does he do better in Friday Thirteenth, the final chapter, versus Starman? I'm going to say they did better. You're right. Number twenty six. Three. Sorry, I can't say numbers or words. Good. Thirty two million nine hundred eighty thousand eight hundred eighty dollars. So yeah, he did that slightly better, right? All right. What else we got here? Um, Hot dog the movie. <laughs> uh, I would say Hot Dog the movie did worse. Okay, that's fair. 20, 20 million and change. All right. The never ending story. Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to say it did better. It did worse. It was number 54 for the year with um, less than Hot Dog the movie. Um, 20 million and change. All right. Wow. Bachelor Party. The Tom Hanks Oscar winning classic. <laughs> well, I, I hope it would be higher, uh, but uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to say uh, lower. It did higher. <laughs> it did. It did considerably. A number 19 <laughs> for the year. Uh, you know, that is uh, upsetting. It, it just. I don't like that. I don't like that uh, Bachelor Party did better than Starman. What about, um, oh, let's see here. Uh, where are we at? Um, All of Me. The Steve Martin film with Lily Tomlin. Wow. Uh, I'm going to say All of Me was lower. Higher. <laughs> it made $36 million. Why? I don't understand that. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Did okay. it do better? Did it do better than, um, you know, Starman? I, I I feel like it is only because Nightmare becomes a phenomenon. I, I feel like it, it. I because I don't know the numbers. I just know that uh, because of the way Nightmare on Elm Street was made. Uh, it was a lot of uh, trying to get money for people uh, to get the movie made. And I, I feel like it made a lot of money and a lot of the people who should have gotten that money didn't. So my long round way about what I'm saying is I, I'm going to say it made more. You'd be wrong. It made less. <laughs> I cannot wait for Starman. Really? Starman, okay. Starman's The Dream Children or whatever the, the, the sequel was. Yeah, it did made less in terms of I, I, I filtered this by um uh was it in your releases domestic box office for nineteen eighty four. Like I think it encompasses like how they did overall once they were released. Um so may this your mileage may vary. Um all right, let, where we at? This uh Muppets take Manhattan, uh better or worse than the Starman. Gut says, gut says better. You'd be wrong. Worse than. All right. Um, Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> the canon film Breakin', better or worse than uh, Starman? 
worse. Better. <laughs> what? I right like why why I don't know why like I feel like we've um, dipped into the waters that are the box office for eighty four. It's always fascinating, right? It's really really fascinating. So anyway, um, I'm not going to get into this more further. Uh, but can I can can I um, can I admit to you? So the older I get, um, the more like emotional things hit me. Like I, like, um, I, I was listening to the Pendulette, uh, of Penn and Teller a couple years ago. He talks about now that he's had kids that any film that has like an emotional through line, he becomes like a weepy bitch. And I'm like, that's bullshit. <laughs> However, watching Starman, I was, I, I was in tears at the end and you don't want to know why, like, like you, you didn't ask this, but I'm going to tell you because it's like, even in the mid eighties with all the cynicism going on, um, this film is very hopeful and, and bright, but knowing in 2022, like I know there's so much other things going on. I can't even possibly comprehend. Um, I just like, I don't know. Like any, anybody wants to come visit us. <laughs> Odds are you're going to come on with a bad Yelp review. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's disgusting. Like how, um, Steve. I, so recently I learned, and I didn't, I didn't know this until a couple days ago, uh, that asshole governor in Texas. And there's, uh, somebody else in Arizona is taking like anybody across the border and, and busing them to DC and just dropping them there without any care or coordination. How can, how can anybody that visits our country, like, by accident think that we're worthy of visitation. You know, if we can't even care for quote unquote illegal aliens, how can we deal with space aliens? You know, it just, I can I, here, here between, between you, me and the trees and everybody else listening here. I, I was bawling my eyes out the end of this because I just, I can't handle like, and I'm not, I'm not a good person that I can't, that I'm not capable. Like I don't affect change. But I'm aware of it. And as much as I adore that this film is a hopeful message, in 2022, I don't know I don't know if it hits the same. And it's depressing because, you know, like just maybe I've said too much. Forgive me. You talk now. <laughs> um, I don't I no, I, I get what you you you're talking about and I, I feel like um it, it's a little bit the same but also opposite to our strange new worlds discussion because when i started watching that i was you know in a pretty down place i not that things have improved at least uh you know within our country but um in a sense that like Wow, I could really use something uplifting now. And, you know, Star Trek Strange New Worlds was that. It was, oh my God, it's a reminder that there is this possibility that there can be a um, positive future, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, you're looking at it through the lens of, like, how can a movie be this hopeful in 1984 uh, versus, you know, 2022, where there doesn't seem to be any hope and we certainly are not growing 
uh, any more compassionate as a people or a race. Does, it, does that make sense? That makes sense. And also in terms of like knowing that like uh, the AIDS epidemic was like actively ignored by the White House until like, like five years later. Like just, I don't like, I mean, like I, I like forgive me that I'm 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 being more U.S. centric and I'm not trying to be like woohoo U.S. is the best uh, country in the world because there's other like <laughs> there's so much other shit going on but it's like we were actively ignoring people dying of a disease we didn't understand because it's them not us and then we get this film that is trying to be like oh and no credits that I'm sorry no credit that's not I'm saying no. No shade to Carpenter and Company that we get his um his most hopeful film ever. It's just it feels weird to me now that like oh this alien showed up and he healed a deer and like he um helped Jenny get over her grief and he ate a Dutch apple pie and actually had cherry cobbler. And like, he wasn't a bad guy and was just trying to observe and understand. And, and she got him where she's going to go. I just, (laughs) it's just, I don't know, man. Like I want to believe humanity is better, but I've been shown repeatedly that we're really, really selfish and garbage. So I feel like if we did as much as I would think that you could remake this film now and have the same message, which I think is important, but there's also like, there's also the version of the film. that's like, Oh, the real version of this where it's like, Oh, you're different than me. I guess you're in jail. You're dead in three days. You're done. You know, like it's just, uh, I, I, sorry, sorry, Steve for like me talking about being a bad person and not expecting the best. And I guess I get frustrated where, um, this film is very, 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 very hopeful. I don't know if we've earned it. That that's where I'm at with that. Well, that's that's certainly uh, something that I, I can agree with. You know, I, I it, it's very hard to uh, justify a positive future, uh, particularly based on you know the era that we're living in. Um, and you know what? Uh, God, I really don't want to wrap up our discussion this way, but you know, when I say the era we live in. Um, a lot of it's just been gestating and stuff that we just, you know, thought was fixed that really isn't. Yeah. Um, at least if you were a, uh, you know, uh, a guy in, in his, his late 40s, I was going to say mid, but I'm uh, edging <laughs> towards late now, late 40s, uh, looking at the world and saying like, hey, I thought some of these issues were fixed a long time ago. It turns out they, they actually weren't. They were just hiding and... Um, you know, they've, they've come to light now and, uh, it's always been this way and you just didn't realize it. Uh, some might say that's, uh, being awakened. I don't know. Um, but, uh, I guess the point that I'm making is, is that, uh, you know, it's, it, I think the, the power of movies is, is that it, it, it is, you know, escapism in the sense that, like, it's able to take us out of our world for just a little bit, and whether it be a place where maybe it takes you to a place that's actually darker than where you are in your real life, uh, or makes you sad, or scares you, or whatever, you know, movies 
good or bad could take us to different places than the realism or the, the life that we're dealing with. Um, but the reverse of that is also they have the power to inspire and remind us of there being something better than us, uh, whether it be on this planet or off planet, uh, you know, that there's something out there greater than us, something that can inspire us. And I feel like I'm talking about Superman now. Um, and there's a whole discussion going on, like online right now regarding how, uh, Warner brothers doesn't quite understand, uh, you know, how to, to, you know, do the character. Um, they don't understand the character is a better way of putting it. Um, but I, I do feel like, you know, uh, I, I, I hope that this type of inspiration doesn't go away because I think we do need more of it. But I completely understand your take of looking at it and going like, yeah, why would anybody? No one should want to reach out to us. We're the worst. Well, okay. So I have... Here, this may color some of your um, like uh, feels about the film. So let me let me give you three pieces of trivia, right? So one, we talked about uh, Dean uh, Reisner, who was like a major contributor to the script. He got denied writing credit, which we talked about that other already. Uh, Carpenter was trying. He actually petitioned because he actually was like, "Can I add a credit for Dean Reisner?" And um, the Writers Guild of America said no. So. Um, <laughs> He, um, he made sure that Reisner was taken care of, like otherwise, because good, good guy Carpenter, right? So that's a good thing, which I think is bullshit that like Reisner with him. Anyway, so, um, so can I mention to you one of the other people that were considered for the role of Starman? So, Steve, who do you think was one of the main contenders for the role? In 1984. Gary Shandling. <laughs> oh, come on. You could, you could, I mean, that would be amazing, uh, but who else? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to guess it wasn't Robert Hayes. Um, let's see. Uh, 1984. Harrison Ford's too obvious because we've already talked about him. Um, ooh, uh, Kevin Bacon. No, Tom Cruise. Oh, Tom Cruise. That's the easy one. That's the one that I should have seen a mile away and just blew right by. Yeah, he's like, hey, I can appreciate. You might say that I passed the tower too fast. No, he'd be like, I can appreciate some aliens and shit, whatever. No, he um, he couldn't commit to the project in full because he was already committed to legend. Uh, he had to actually be there for that, but he, but Carpenter was like, Oh, he was really, really like charismatic and compelling. So we almost got Tom Cruise with his, like his middle tooth and also occupying a, a being from another world <laughs> and Starman, which, you know what? I don't think it would have been bad, but it would have been weird. Right. So that's the first thing. Does that kind of blow your mind? I cannot wait to drop to you the knowledge of what's coming next. Uh, is, is, is the next person Magnum PI? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tom Selleck was, no, no. So after the success of Starman, um, he, so Carpenter was approached by, uh, um, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer to direct top gun. And he passed. Wow. <laughs> you know, and he's gone. And it's, it's really hard to reflect on 
uh, you know, who 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 did what on and in that sense, like. But I, I do feel like Top Gun is, is that you know it's a Tony Scott film, and I feel like uh, I don't know that you get that same movie if you give it to another director. Like I, I wonder what Carpenter's version of that would have been. Uh, but I also I feel like Carpenter would be like, it's fine. We don't need to get all these shots of the. the <laughs> we don't need to spend money on this. We'll figure it out in post. We'll make like like Whereas, a CGI you know, and um, we'll do a CGI clay monster of the Migs. Right? It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. No, but <laughs> like, think of, think about that, and especially when you watch this film, his handling of like the Air Force and everything going on, like. I just like that he was like, it wasn't my right project. I have no regrets. Like, like think about like as much success critically as he's had over the years later and like how he's like, yeah, I don't know about this. And it was like one of the greatest hits of the eighties. He's like, I'm good. <laughs> like, <laughs> which, um, I now need, I now need Tom Cruise to, to convince Carpenter to come out of retirement and then do like, um, Ghost to Mars Xenu or something where like Carpenter, like, sorry, where Cruz has the money, like the budget now and Carpenter's like, hell yeah, let me eat fried chicken and play Call of Duty. We'll make it happen. That's the film I need to happen right now. It'd be amazing. <laughs> All right. But it has to star Jeff Bridges, Kurt Russell and Harrison Ford. And Jason's that uh, not Jason Scott. Um, oh shit. Yeah. Oh. Um, you know, bald guy. Um, oh shit. Um, Jason Alexander. No, he's a bald guy too. No. Um, oh shit. The transporter. Um, Jason yeah, that, that's, that's Jason talking. But yeah, we got, cause he's in ghost to Mars and you gotta get ice cube involved as well. It's fine. It's fine. You know, make it happen. It's fine. Thank you for calling out my inability to say names. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I'm here to help. Yeah, right. So, um, all right, to wrap it up, and then we'll be done here. <laughs> Early-ish? Um, um, I, 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 I like Starman a great deal. Um, this most recent watching hit me hard because it's like, oh, let's show our best of humanity whenever we can't do this to our own persons on Earth, but let's just show it to a dude that just wants to eat pie and get out of here. Sure. You know, it's almost like, it's like whenever you have guests over for a day, you're like, we'll be our best selves for three days. They need to go because we're about to be terrible people. You know, like leave now. Here's your pie. <laughs> go out the door. You know what I mean? It's like, you can't hold in your terribleness for a minute. <laughs> you know, I, I think Starman's a wonderful film and, um, it, it, it's a carpenter's, um, instincts are here and I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I just, I think people it's worthy of watching and people should and find it. It's available streaming. Uh, you watch this. What was it on Pluto TV with ads? Yep. 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 Um, I watched it on Amazon for $4 to rent. <laughs> like it's available. Go check it out. So we're done with our talk about uh, um, the the movie we're talking about. My God, it is uh, uh, it is um, <laughs> Starman. 
my God, what is wrong with me? Uh, Steve. Starman? Uh, Starman? Like Starmans? All right, no. You guys can find us on Facebook at Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, you guys can email us directly at invasionofthepodcast.gmail.com. Uh, rate and review us wherever you get it, uh, get your podcast. Steve's been posting things recently. He's been a better social media guy than me. Um, but yeah, if you like the show, you enjoy the conversation, let other people know, like to share it. It's fine. There's so many 1000 other podcasts, not 1000. There's a gajillion other podcasts out there. We're not true crime. Um, but you know, whatever. I think we've been doing this long enough and well enough. If you enjoyed the conversation, let people know. And uh, Steve, how can people find you? Uh, you can find Facebook and Instagram under the Siren Slasher. You can visit our website, the Siren Slasher.com. Um, currently, uh, we're in a transition phase, which is, you know, uh, basically uh, meaning that, like, I don't have it on Etsy anymore. I'm, uh, I'm open, but not open. Um, it's on quote unquote vacation. And I, I be making that decision shortly, but, uh, uh, if you want to buy a copy of the the comic, please you know uh, just shoot me an email. Uh, you can also contact us through the show, message us. Uh, I'll be happy to to work with you on it. Okay, work with you on it. I will be happy to sell it to you via that way. Whew, long yeah. day. So yeah. So in the meantime, um, everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. Throw out some recommendation re- recommendations recommendations right now. Um, the theater of war podcast, they, they, like, uh, Trevor recently, uh, covered the film, uh, Gallipoli, which I need to get to the film and listening to his podcast. It's a lot of fun. Also at the devil's ball, um, they covered, um, oh, I just lost it here. I'm going to find it again. I had it, like I, I clicked out of it. Um, they recently had, um, Pearl, uh, from MST key MST three K I'm a mess. I apologize. Um, on, um, like to talk about a film, uh, go check that out as well. Also talk without rhythm. Uh, uh, Mr. El Goro does amazing things as well for us next week. I promise that I got this right. We're going to talk about mad God. It is the stop motion, um, nightmare by Phil Tippett. It's available on shutter. It's going to get weird. It's going to be a lot of fun. Steve. Speak about the the film real quick. Yeah, I love- yeah, I don't really know much about it other than Hill Tippett, so I'm I'm very anxious to jump into it because I, I it's a very clean slate for me. I'm curious to see what it is. Yeah, so that's going to do it for us this week. Everybody have a good week. Uh, have a safe week. Um, if you have a bunch of space balls, use them wisely. And also, um, you know, if you're presented with um, uh, dinner side and a dessert. Just eat the dessert first because nobody cares. I think that's important. Dessert first. I'm here for it.
Switch on the TV. 